get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, happy official playoff hockey day. Thank you, Randy. 14 and a half hours away. I cannot wait for the puck drop tonight. Too bad it's such a late start, but hey, we'll make it through. Yeah, hopefully it won't be as late a finish as last night's game was between Tampa Bay and Columbus. Unbelievable. Were you locked into that? I was. Five overtimes, 88 shots on goal against Corpus the Columbus goalie, and the last one by Braden Point win in five overtimes. I was thinking about that. How do you... I always think in situations like that, of course, there's you you can rebound. But just from a physical and mental standpoint, you lose that game. How can you get yourself geared up, especially with no fans around and your game day experience different, to come back and have that same amount of vigor to compete after five overtimes? It's going to be tough. It's going to be, but it's a team that blew a 3 nothing lead against Toronto in the last three minutes. When Toronto put a sixth attacker on, they lose that game, game four of the playoff series and come back and win Game 5. So the Blue Jackets have shown themselves to be pretty resilient, but we thought Tampa was the best team for a couple of years now. And last year they got swept out of the playoffs, ironically, by Columbus. But, man, five overtimes last night. Those are the kind that you never forget. Never. It was it was epic. It was great. We have the Blues tonight, and we have quite a night of hockey for you. Game 1, pregame at 8.30 here on 101 ESPN. And, Leading up to the game, we're going to have all kinds of Blues coverage throughout the course of the day here on 101 ESPN. You're home of the Blues. I cannot wait. It seems like we've been talking about this for so long. And a lot, there's a lot of consternation heading into this game, Randy, which I think makes yeah. it even that much more exciting. Right, yeah. We have no idea what's going to happen. And so we mentioned today we've got uh, scoops with Danny Mac coming up after our show. And then Ribs and BK will be talking hockey, the fast lane. And then from 8 o'clock until... Uh, 6 p.m. until 8, This Week in Hockey with Joe Vitale. Uh, I'm sorry, no, Behind the Bench with Ferrario at 6, and then Blues and Canucks Game 1 at 8.30 with the pregame. So you're going to have wall-to-wall hockey coverage yeah, all day. All day long here on 101 ESPN. One thing we will not have wall-to-wall coverage of this fall, Michelle, is college football, at least in the Big Ten and the Pac-10. <laughs> as we know, we learned yesterday, in the space of about 90 minutes, the pac the Big Ten announced that they are going to play in 2020, and then the Pac-10 followed suit about 90 minutes later. It felt inevitable, but it was still devastating to get the mm-hmm. word that you aren't going to have Big Ten football in the fall, at least specifically for me, an right. Illinois grad. Uh, obviously, people, fans of the Pac-12 dealing with the same thing, but it's it's one of those things that you appreciate that they seemingly are making the correct decision here. They have a task force about infectious diseases. They have a medical advisory committee that they've been consulting with. And if those people are telling them, hey, this is not going to be able to to be <clears throat> executed in a way that's healthy for all the student athletes involved, of, of course they had to make this decision to postpone, hopefully, until the spring. And... I think when you look at the conferences that have canceled, when you look at the Ivy League, when you look at the Big Ten with schools like Michigan and Northwestern and some of the other high-level 
medical institutions, when you're looking at the Stanfords and the Cals of the world, the schools that seem to have a really strong understanding of medicine are the the big ones, the big voices, or some of the big voices, at least in the conferences that have shut down. There isn't a comp. Well, I guess Vanderbilt is. But there is there is aren't multiple comps in the SEC to what the Ivy League has or what the Pac-12 has or what the Big Ten has. Right. But one thing that you can compare is money. And if the Big Ten, who is mm-hmm. incredibly profitable, if not the most profitable conference in college football, I mean, last year alone, Randy, they made $780 million in revenue. So for all the people thinking, oh, yeah, the Big Ten was foolish to do this because of a football standpoint, think about it from a revenue standpoint. They would not have sacrificed the revenue that they would have generated with fall football if they did not think that this was 100% the right decision from a health and safety standpoint. There is risk and there is reward, and they know exactly what their reward would be, and they've determined that from a medical standpoint, because we are in the midst of a pandemic, that the risk isn't worth that $780 million reward. And I'm I understand that. Hey, you're going to have multiple schools that don't have kids on campus. So if you don't put if you if you don't think your school is safe enough to have kids on campus, how can you think it's safe enough to have football players playing against each other? I don't know if rationally you can make that argument, but then if you're the other conferences who are being steadfast in your commitment to playing and you're seeing the Pac-12, the Big Ten, say, hey, according to our experts in infectious disease, we cannot execute this. This cannot happen. How do you rationalize it to yourself then? Different parts of the country. It's it, the, the Southeast is different than any place else. You're right. And the SEC and the ACC are predominantly in the Southeast, and they just think differently than most of the country do. And that's why we have this disparity in the way people are approaching this. The, the stuff that you were reading about uh, maybe swing factors and, and having the Big Ten arrive at this decision is um, one of the things that I've been reading a lot about is the heart condition, the long-term effects that mm-hmm. these, these people are discovering with COVID. And if, again, if you're the Big Ten and you're saying, okay, so if we put these players together, there's a, a, a strong chance that they could contract this virus. And Maybe they'll recover, but we don't know about the long-term effects, and we don't know what that's going to do to their health from a broader perspective. I think that they deserve even more kudos for making those decisions. I agree. And let's look at it from a football standpoint. These schools, the teams, they haven't had spring football. They haven't hit with pads yet. Here we are in mid-August, and they have not hit with pads yet, and they aren't going to, and they're going to start late for the SEC. It'll be September 26th. So for all that money that CBS and ESPN are paying for SEC football or ACC football, they're with ABC and ESPN, what is the quality of product that's going to be turned out here? I can't imagine that the quality of football is going to be that great. I can't either. You know, if you're waiting around to find out if you're going to play, yes, you're working out, but you're certainly not exerting yourself from a football standpoint the way you normally would on August 12th. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have to wonder what football we're going to get, what the quality is going to be. ESPN's Jay Billis 
It's not that we couldn't foresee this at the time. It seemed remote because we were dealing with something we really didn't have any understanding of. Our understanding of things has progressed some, but it's still very new. There are a lot of unknowns. So again, I'm not second guessing the Pac-12's decision here because their footprint is very different than that of other conferences. There are far more hotspots, especially in the state of California, where it's going to be very difficult. But for other leagues, I mean, I've been hearing from coaches nonstop saying that there's no reason that basketball cannot be played in November because students are leaving campus. I mean, basically every campus is going to be getting their students out before Thanksgiving. So most coaches are looking at this saying there's no reason that we can't uh, have our players isolated during that period and be perfectly safe to play basketball. It's a good point. College basketball will have a bubble. Music to my ears, Randy. Yeah, <laughs> this is like going to be an important basketball season for Illinois. But I also think with basketball, there's far less factors that you have to control. Mm-hmm. Smaller teams, smaller staffs. Again, as Jay mentioned, if people are leaving campus at that time, you can isolate and restrict or at least limit uh, what these players are doing and where they're going. You can contain a lot more. Right. And the NCAA is an overseer of college basketball. It is not an overseer of college football. And as we're seeing with the Power Five conferences, we kind of thought that they were on the same page. And as Paul Feinbaum notes, they aren't. It just enunciates the dysfunctionality of college football. It's also one reason why we love it so much, because it's chaotic. It doesn't make any sense. There are always arguments, especially at the end of the season. But but this is unprecedented because... Uh, everyone wanted to play. Uh, I mean, I know there's some debate today about the Big Ten, and maybe it's justifiable, but everyone on the other side wants to play. They understand the challenge. But the reason why the Big 12 is so important is that if you're Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, or John Swafford of the, of the ACC, how do you argue that, that you know more than two-thirds of the Power Five? It becomes a losable argument. It, it, I don't think it's possible to go on. They may go on a few more days, maybe a few more weeks, but, but if the Big 12 says tonight or tomorrow or sometime very soon we're not playing, it, it puts enormous pressure on the other two. Yeah, and I, I just don't know how these Power Five conference commissioners and the presidents from those schools didn't all get on the same page. And I'm not saying... Really? Well, <laughs> because they're all in it together in terms of money, Right. And, yeah, I I get the pressure from fans and from coaches. Hey, when Nick Saban is the highest-paid public servant, actually, he's, I believe Saban or Harbaugh is the highest-paid public service servant in the country. Wow. And Saban definitely is in the state of Alabama. Well, if you're the president of the school or even if you're the governor of the state, don't you bow down to Nick Saban and do what he wants to do? Specifically in Alabama, I think you do. Yeah, and same thing with Louisiana, where head coach Ed Orgeron has his team practicing. How has the pandemic affected the Tigers training? You know, we get to the office about 6 o'clock, have a staff meeting at 8, you know, do offense, defense, till about 11.30, go work out, make recruiting calls. Then we have a little individual time. On a regular day, that, you know, we have a little time. We have a team meeting at 3.30. We go to some meetings, we go to practice, and we're off the field about Six o'clock, coaches come watch film, and we home at seven thirty. It's still a full day that Coach O and the LSU Tigers, go Tigers, Randy. Are go put, Tigers. I'll go Tigers. Are putting in. But, you know, I think these coaches are adjusting. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out a way that you can get your prep work in without doing it in the, in the manner that you normally would. But, man, just even hearing Coach O's voice, Randy, I know the SEC is steadfast in playing. We, I, 
would be so sad to have a fall without any semblance of college football. I was thinking about this this morning. I know that the right thing for the players is to not play. Yeah. But I still want them to. So do I. <laughs> I, I we had talked about this at length at the Big Ten. We had gotten word was going to announce this mm-hmm. yesterday. And still, when I saw the tweet come in and the, the push notification, it broke my heart. I was yeah. so sad to think about a fall and the leaves turning without a Saturday filled with Big Ten college football. Right. It's awful to think about. And then my heart broke for the players to think about everything that they had built towards and sacrificed, especially if you're a senior. I mean, it's just, it's a very difficult time for everybody. It really is. Dabo, will the ACC and SEC still go if all three other conferences don't? Dabo, speaking of making your own decision, could you see the ACC and the SEC making a go of it if the other three power five leagues that don't do it? You have to ask Dan Radakovich that. I'm just trying to get my team ready. If we get a chance, I can just tell you, we'll play whenever, whoever, whatever, anywhere. We just want to play football. There's a, we just want to play football. Football guy, Randy. Yeah. Okay, Michelle, got one for you. Okay. Presuming that the Big 12 joins the Big 10 and the Pac-12. So you have two conferences playing in 2020. Take it or leave it, Urban Meyer is on a sideline in 2020, 2021. Hmm. Because Clay Helton is not going to get fired after 2000. You wouldn't think, but <laughs> if you've lost, if you're USC and you've lost a bunch of money, uh-huh. and you know that Urban Meyer is a money machine, or any other school that is a blue blood that has lost a bunch of money in 2020, do you fire your coach anyway, even though he hasn't lost or played a game? Oh, that is such a good one. I think if it's for Urban Meyer, probably. Mm-hmm. Because you'll definitely bring some juice with them. Did you see that video that was going around yesterday, by the way? He was doing an interview with the Big Ten Network on a boat. And behind (laughs) him is a mirror. And somebody walked in that was half naked, essentially, a a man. And you could see it in the mirror. And he was waving him off, like, not realizing that he was on camera. It was very funny. So Urban's living his best life right now. Yeah, I mean, he's just doing the media thing. I'm on a boat. I'm talking about the cancellation of the Big Ten season. I mean, and, and... we know part of the reason that he's not in football right now is because of his health issues. Yeah. His family really urged him not to, and it was something that he felt that he couldn't do. So if you're him and you're looking at the mess that's happening right now and you think about uh, what situation you're going to come into if you come back to a major school like that, and I know that expectations will be shifted, but I don't wonder if a place like that, if expectations are almost higher because people have been, well, especially after this, I mean, people have been dying for college football. I don't think you just get a built-in excuse, hey, we didn't have a season. No, if you are a school that hires Urban Meyer, you expect him to do what he did at Florida, what he did at Ohio State. You expect him to come in there and win immediately. And if you're a school like USC that has won multiple championships in the past, Don't you expect him to be Pete Carroll? Yeah. You you expect him to win a lot and win big. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is Carriker and Smallman coming up. Blues and Canucks game one tonight from Edmonton here on 101 ESPN. Who's going to win this series? We'll give you our ideas next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
We finally, finally are ready to start the Stanley Cup playoffs. For us, it'll be on August 12th. They started last night, and the Blues will play Vancouver in Game 1 tonight at Rogers Place in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. A weird, certainly, admittedly, Stanley Cup playoffs situation for 2020, but it's Stanley Cup playoffs nonetheless, and the Blues really start defense of their title here. I was going to say, not only are we starting the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight, Randy, so are the Blues. Everything that happened prior to this, round robin, exhibition games, we're talking practice. It's over. We have wiped the slate clean, and we are starting fresh tonight. I like your positive attitude, because... The Blues did play the round-robin games. We can't forget that they went 0-2-1. And, and we're still wondering, Craig Bruby, what happened? I think there's just some, uh, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, wrong play at the wrong time with the penalty in the first game. You know, we should have got out of that game one nothing, Or it would have been tied 1-1. So... And in the third game, you know, we did a good job of the six on five. I thought, you know, the first minute and a bit, you know, we kept them outside, really didn't give them a whole lot. That shot came out, you know, quite a ways out, but it was a hell of a shot. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, we, we actually, you know, did a pretty good job all around. But, you know, if you want to just try to win one nothing. Um, the chances are teams are going to tie things up on you. you you got to try to go get that next goal. And that, that was the issue, I thought, uh, in the last game. We, did, we didn't make any plays or try to get the second goal. Hopefully that can change because I didn't see a lot that I really liked in the round, Robin. No. I know that he said, yeah, we were close, wrong place, wrong time. Well, you got to be at the right place at the right time if you're going to win a Stanley Cup. We saw that last year. Yeah, and you could be in the right place in the right time and you still need lucky bounces so you better be at the right place at the right time because so many other things are are at at play in playoff hockey but I think Craig Berube's general sentiment was hey we've got to be more aggressive we've got to go out there we've got to amp things up and we've got to play our style of hockey and we can't just sit back and say hey we have a one goal lead let's defend this lead we've got to go out there and say no we want to pile it on Foot on the gas we're going to be 95% sunshine lollipops here okay but for that other 5%, my big concern, and I mentioned this in a blog I put up that's still there at 101ESPN.com, and I mentioned it here on Monday's show, is that your biggest guys, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Schwartz, Shen, Petro, combined for zero goals in four games, the exhibition game and then the three in the round robin. Perron did have a pair. Pareko did have a pair. But the guys that... You'd expect to be your most dynamic, impactful players didn't do it. No, they didn't. But the good news is, and again, we're spinning it here, Randy. It's game one. We got to spin it. It is, yeah. Is that these guys are capable of it and they know how to get that within themselves. They know how to ascend to that level and they know what needs to be done for them to get there. And Bruby notes that Tarasenko went nine months without playing. So, how's he coming along? Well, he missed the game, but I thought, the, you know, the Dallas game, I thought he was a lot better, more competitive, had some opportunities to score, uh, skated well. Um, you know, so I think, you know, after a long layoff like he's had, and, you know, the first game is the first game in the round robin, not, you know, just okay, but I thought he got better in the third game, which is a good sign. He needs to be great. He can't just be better. He needs to be Vladdy. If this team's going to win huge part of the reason they won the Stanley Cup last year is because he was a dynamic playoff performer. He's one of the most uh, high-scoring per-game players in the history of the league in the playoffs. You have to have him going. 
You do. But we saw this Blues team can have success without him this year. I'm more concerned about the group the group previously that you mentioned more than Vladimir Tarasenko because, to me, if, if any of the guys that you mentioned, O'Reilly, et cetera, aren't performing, you've seen that they can, they can perform and win without Vladdy. If you have them performing and you throw Vladdy on top of it, that's a lethal combination. They can. I don't dispute that. But... Nine times out of ten, the people that are going to win that Conn Smythe trophy are star players. Ryan O'Reilly, Jonathan Taves, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin. You have to have your best players be your best players at playoff time. And I would argue that, and you know this, but the Blues were great during the regular season. But this is so different. You need to be so much better during the playoffs than the regular season. It's just a different sport because of the intensity. You're right, it is, which makes me a little nervous about this matchup, Randy, because you have a Vancouver team who's gone through that intensity level already in this postseason, and you have a Blues team coming off a lackluster round-robin play that hasn't certainly gotten to that intensity level. So I I really worry about that. That's one of my big X factors into this. Coach, can the Blues raise that intensity level? Well, I'm hoping. Like, I think our level should be high. You know, I think our guys understand that, you know, this is what it's all about here now. And um, But at the same time, you know, there's things like that I saw in, a, in the round robin that I was not happy with. So, um, you know, our execution's got to be a lot better. Um, and, you know, you, you can't just turn that on whenever you feel like it. So, you know, there could be some things that we're still have to work out here uh, going forward. But, you know, I think our guys understand how to how to play in the playoffs, how you have to what you have to do to win. So that's a good sign, I think, for us. But uh, you know, it's going to be an intense hockey game. Vancouver's a good team, and they're going to come at us with everything. And so we're going to have to be ready. We aren't around the club, obviously, but I wonder if Bruby was saving his intensity for now rather than amping them up during the course course of the round robin. I thought it was interesting last year. There were certain normally he was pretty laid back and loose during the playoffs, but there were certain times where you could tell that he had an edge to him. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's he was saving the edge this year until now. Until a pre-game speech tonight, maybe, yeah. Randy? Yeah. Well, we saw that speech he had in Game 7. I mean, when he turns it on, he turns it on. And I, the only thing that I would counter with, though, if he wasn't necessarily bringing himself to that level, I would be surprised that the players would have a player players-only meeting heading true. In, into that game versus Dallas. Because it seems to me like Baruby indicated to them, hey, this is not good enough. And then the players said, hey, we need to get together and talk about this. All right, game one. Michelle, what are you thinking? <laughs> that the Blues are going to win, Randy. That's what I'm thinking. How many games is it going to take them to win? Six. I was thinking the exact same thing. And I, if they win... If you could have a Conn Smythe winner for this series, I think it's going to be on the shoulders of Biddington. I absolutely could not agree more. I, I think that Vancouver will outskate the Blues. The Blues' recent history is that they get outshot and outchanced on a pretty dramatic level, and they're going to need to lean on their goalie. And like Ruby said, they're going to have to score more, and that's why those five guys that we talked about, they're going to have to step up. Is everybody going to have to score every night? No, you're not going to get five goals every night from those guys. But you're going to have to get the occasional goal from those guys. Maybe Jaden Schwartz is a guy that steps up and does what he did in the first three rounds last year. Maybe Petrangelo lifts his game to the level that he played last year. When he wasn't injured last year, Ryan O'Reilly was unbelievable during the playoffs. And then, as we mentioned, Tarasenko, you need to get your guys going. 
You do. And even though we both agree that Bennington is the guy that is going to come out and probably be the biggest X factor for you. And we say that knowing that he can do it in the postseason, we saw it last year, but also feeling confident about the goaltending more than anything else coming out of round robin play. But as the player said during the round robin, they can't depend on him. They've got to help him out. You can't put everything on his shoulders. Yeah. By the way, Ivan Barbashev is expected to return to Edmonton in a couple of days. Then he has to spend four days in quarantine. So it looks like Troy Brower will wind up being on that fourth line in place of Barbie. And also, congrats to he and his wife on the birth of their child. Yeah, baby Barbie. Baby Barbie has arrived. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said the Cardinals can have a credible season, but can they? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. No Cardinal baseball today, no Cardinal baseball tomorrow. Doesn't look like we'll have Cardinal Baseball on Friday either. And people are saying, Dan McLaughlin said yesterday here, that perhaps Saturday will be the day that the Cardinals can return to the field. I was thinking about this, Michelle, in in listening to John Mosellock talk about how Cardinal players are quarantined to their house, and the Cardinals don't want them leaving their house. Yes, they can go out in their backyard and sit and look at the trees, and they drive in to the ballpark to be tested every day. But if you're a pitcher and you count on your legs and the strength and stamina of your legs to be able to deliver innings, and you've been stuck inside basically for two weeks now from that Friday in Milwaukee until at least this coming Thursday or Friday— how much do you lose physically when you don't work out and you can't even run for a couple of weeks? Yeah, I was I was going to say you have to certainly factor in that six of those days were in a hotel room where you couldn't run and or do any sort of exercise, really, especially with weights. I think a lot of these guys probably have some sort of setup at home where they can run. And I'm sure that since they're doing nothing other than driving down to Bush Stadium mm-hmm. to get a daily test, they're trying to get back into the physical shape they need to be. But that's not something that you can just bounce back to even if you're a professional athlete you just can't you have to build up towards it and it doesn't seem likely that the cardinals are going to be able to play 60 games our friend Derek gould said or talked to rob manfred the commissioner of baseball you can read the piece at stltoday.com or in the post dispatch and manfred said i think whether you get all the way to 60 games or not that's difficult to this point i think that they're going to play i think it's possible for them to play enough games to be credible to be a credible competitor this season and Obviously, that's one of the things that I wonder about is at 40 games, that's a good word for it. Is that credible to put a team in the playoffs? I think based on the circumstances and on the the shape of the season as a whole, you have to say that it's credible. If they come out after this and they start having success and put themselves in a position to get to the postseason, I think you can't hold these circumstances against them. So, yeah, I think it is credible if they were able to come out and do that. Now, the Cardinals have multiple players that have been incredibly responsible. As a matter of fact, if you listen to Mo, he'll say, we're the victims of bad luck. Mm -hmm. Somebody was infected and infected the rest of the team. And Cardinal starter Jack Flaherty spoke to our friend, John, um, John, Mike Claiborne, (laughs) Mike Claiborne at ClaibesOnline.com. And uh, Claibes interviewed him about everything that's gone on in the last couple of weeks. And you can hear the whole interview at ClaibesOnline.com. But Flaherty's initial reaction to hearing that there was a positive test on the team. 
you just wonder, you know, you start to worry about the, their health and whoever else might be affected. Am I affected? You know, what's what's going on? And it, it, it all happened. I mean, it was it was Friday morning right before the, the Brewers game when it all kind of happened. You know, I woke up to a phone call and was was told like, hey, this is what's going on. We're not playing today. Uh, we don't know about the rest of the weekend. I would think for anybody that hears that a coworker or a family member or themselves tested positive, even if you are a denier, if you think that it was a hoax, if you test positive, it's got to be pretty scary. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about this with Danny Mack when this all first went down. You have to think about the mental aspect of this and how the players could be affected from a mental standpoint because not only, as Jack said, are you concerned about your teammates, you're wondering what sort of symptoms they may be exhibiting, you're kind of bracing to find out what's going on there. Then all of a sudden your mind starts going and you think, well, I just saw that player yesterday and they were fine and or they seemingly were fine and now they're testing positive does that mean that i could test positive and if so does that mean that i might not be asymptomatic and i might start dealing with some health stuff and then you're pacing this this hotel room and you're waiting to find out you can't really do much it's got to take a, a big toll on you yeah michelle as we have seen especially over the course of this summer there's a lot of people that have opinions and they really don't want to listen to what other people say and I kind of pride myself on that, and especially in a situation like this, because I know that Jack Flaherty is a thoughtful guy. He's clearly intelligent. He is able to elicit uh, or explain to us why he feels the way he does. And Mike asked him about baseball being a distraction here in St. Louis and around the country. You know, I said I said the same thing. Uh, you know, sports is coming back, but it's not meant to be a distraction. And I understand people saying, no, this is what it needs to be. It needs to be a distraction. It needs to be a way for people to forget about everything that's going on for the three hours that this sporting event goes on. And I get it. I, I understand you need to find a way to, to get away. You need to find a way to decompress. We, as athletes, we find a way to, to get away and decompress from, you know, from the game, from everything that, that, that goes on in our lives. And, I get it, but once that game ends, like you can't forget everything that that is going on. You can't forget the, you know, that it's been a, maybe 150 days or something that Brianna Taylor was killed. It's been a lot of days. It's kind of added up. I don't know off the top of my head, but um, it's been a lot of days since since Brianna Taylor was, was was killed, and you know they're still searching for justice. It's been there's there's a lot of good, honest talk and communication has gone on over the past few months. And that has circled through Twitter, through Instagram, through all social media. And it's been great to see it continue to happen through this time. What Jack Flaherty wants, and I've heard him say it, is for everybody to get along and everybody to be able to live their lives without the threat of being attacked or without the threat of a family member being killed. And so, yes, he, he does understand the our idea of baseball being a distraction for three hours, but then he goes back to his real world as somebody who is an African-American and what African-Americans deal with on a daily basis. And that's his reality. And I think it's for somebody with any 
empathy or any intelligence, I think it's imperative to also listen to what other people are thinking and feeling. Yes, sports is a distraction for a lot of people, but it's also a massive stage with bright, bright spotlights on it. And for somebody like Jack Flaherty, who stands on that stage, he can bring awareness to different things that are happening throughout the country. And people who might not want to talk about it or have ignored it up until this point, when you hear somebody in your space that you're looking at as perhaps a distraction talking about it, that's imploring you to say, hey, don't ignore this. Please pay attention to this. This is affecting a lot of people. I hope those people do listen to him. And all he's asking really and I don't think it's unreasonable, is for people to make up their minds after they listen, not before they listen. And here what, what, what a concept. Yeah, right. But we're seeing it a lot, aren't we, that people want to make up their minds before they hear what somebody else has to say. Yeah. And that's just the society that we live in. Meanwhile, he is quarantined. So what's he do, doing during the quarantine? I'm doing fine, doing as much as I can to move around and not sit on my couch the whole time. That's for sure, but and and same thing in uh in Milwaukee was you know you just kind of find your way sitting on the bed watching some movies some TV uh, same thing here catching up with, with with some family just just seeing how family's doing word is we're we're, we're playing soon we're, we'll be back out there soon hopefully very soon that is Jack Flaherty thanks to our friend Mike Claiborne and you can hear the entire interview at ClabesOnline.com a lot of great work happening at ClabesOnline.com and I hope that they are playing soon I hope that Jack's what Jack is hearing is correct I think they're probably all anticipating that they're going to play soon but how many days have passed where they've anticipated that they're going to play yeah. soon that's the unfortunate part about this is that you can think hey we're going to come this is what we thought last Friday Randy we thought we've got a Cubs series on deck the Cardinals are going to return but the virus sometimes has other as other options yep. and Friday will be 3 weeks since Jack Flaherty climbed a mound that's wild yeah to think that it's happened that quickly that and uh, He's a young guy. I just hope that he doesn't, and the other Cardinal pitchers especially, don't overdo it. And I know that Mike Schilt and Mike Maddox are going to be very protective of those guys, but I can't imagine that somebody's going to be able to, after a, if Jack Flaherty starts the Cardinals' next game, if it would be on Saturday, what do you expect? An inning, maybe two? Probably. I, think, I wouldn't expect much more than that, I right? I wouldn't either, no. And if you're the Cardinals and you're the training staff, you're... Think about how difficult of a job that is to have these guys be in quarantine, come back, get them ready, have them play. Then they're quarantined again. Then you're trying to keep them in a physical state where they're going to be okay to play. You're probably sending them some sort of video so they can be watching. You're trying to monitor what they're doing at home, checking Mm -hmm. in on them. But you really have absolutely no control over what these guys are doing. It's just very complicated from every angle you look at it. It's not something that I would want to have to try to solve. That It's a puzzle that's almost impossible to put together. It's a mess. Yeah, it is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It is 101 ESPN, and it is time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Bernie Federico is going to join us at 815. And at 845, we're going to talk about the Bomberito 500 taking place at Gateway International Raceway later this month. Looking forward to that. We've also got the fight coming up at 830. Ready for Tioli? I am ready, Randy. 
Michelle Smallman, you've never played uh, fantasy football, have you? Never. Uh, Take it or leave it. In 2020, the greatest waste of time and money you could ever have is playing NFL fantasy football. I'm going to leave it. Really? Because I think under normal circumstances, it's more of a waste of time because you have other stuff going on. Now you've got nothing else going on, so it's really not a waste of time. But you have no knowledge of what anybody is going to do. There is a skill to being a good fantasy football player, and now we don't know who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. There is no way to project whether or not Derrick Henry is going to be good. We haven't seen any training camp. We haven't had any offseason programs. We don't know how the rookies have looked. Heck, a lot of teams are going to have trouble putting together an offensive or defensive line. And with all the opt-outs, 70 opt-outs, 69 I think it is, it's going to be impossible to project the National Football League. I would think that might make it more fun, Randy, more chaotic. Have it be all about luck? Yeah, have have it just be, hey, these are the people I'm picking, let's go. See, then... (laughs) If it's a game of chance, I, I'm totally on board. But a lot of people look at it as a game of skill. And I don't think there's any way to have it be a game of skill this year. So I look at it kind of like March Madness almost, where yeah. you can prognosticate as much as you want and you never know what's really going to happen. Surprises are around every corner. So maybe it's kind of like that, where you weigh the factors that you know could be X factors and picking these players uh, and constructing your team. But then it's kind of fun just to watch it unfold. I want to get your take on this because Hard Knocks started last night on HBO. Oh, did it? Did you know that NFL training camps had started? No. Neither. But we're not locked <laughs> into the NFL. No. But I, I will say this. We are locked into the general sports world and the fact that it hasn't been made a bigger deal of, I yep. think, is telling. Right, because everybody else has real games going on. That's right. I was going to say, I was watching a a five-overtime hockey game last night. I'm not worried about hard knocks and training camp. All right, Randy, take it or leave it. The Blues win game one versus Vancouver tonight. Yeah, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to say that uh, the number one star is Jordan Binnington. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? I, I really weighed this, and I think they are going to win tonight. And maybe I'm projecting a little bit. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Uh, take it or leave it. If they don't win game one tonight, you are on the panic bus. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. same. 100%. Yeah, same. they'll be, if they don't win tonight, they'll be oh, they'll have played five games, have no wins. Oh, five, oh, four and one. So it's a must win that's not a must win? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Scott Manziar is here and has your text for us. Scotty, what do you got? From the 314, take it or leave it. The Blues are the only team that got a bye in the first round of uh, the playoffs that advanced to the next round. Can you? Yeah. So the take it or leave it, the Blues, out of the four teams that got yeah. the bye, uh-huh. they're the only team that advances to the next round here. Oh, oh I get uh, I'm leaving the, that. the guys in the round robin. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm leaving that. Yeah, I'm going to leave that. Vegas too. is going to win their series. Yeah. Uh, they they started off well last night. Yeah, they're Colorado. I think Colorado Arizona is a coin flip. And I still like Colorado. I, I do think Dallas might be in a little bit of trouble. From the six six zero, sticking with hockey here. Take it or leave it. Jake Allen plays in at least one game of this Canucks series. I'll take that. Yeah, they're playing back to back, and Baruby said, "Yeah, he'll probably play." So I'm going to go with that. I'll take it too. And six six zero. That's not a an area code we normally hear. No. Well, let's see, where is that? Yeah, thanks for listening. 660 area code. 660 Western Missouri. Oh, there we go. Shout out Western Missouri. 
I like it. <laughs> um, this one will stay uh, inside the hockey sphere right now. With that five overtime game yesterday, take it or leave it. Either one of those goalies start again tomorrow night. I'm going to take it. Yeah. How can you not start them? Yeah. Pasalo had 85 saves. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Might be a little tired. Yeah, he'll be fine. All those guys are going to be exhausted. Yeah. The equipment the goalies wear is so much lighter now. So not a big deal. But even if it's lighter, it's still a lot. Yeah, can you imagine Can you imagine just standing for eight periods? No. And so you're standing, standing on, on skates. skates. You're yeah, standing with on equipment skates. On. Yeah, imagine how tight your calves are after a game like right. that. Right, yeah. But he'll sleep in. He'll be fine. Air Comfort Service text line. He'll be he'll be fine too. Six five seven eight zero. Take it or leave it. You're excited for the team name and uniform color announcement of our MLS team tomorrow. So excited! It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And what they've done with the rollout so far, the little teaser videos that they're mm-hmm. doing on social media have been great. But that's not a surprise with no. the with the group that's running this. We asked Carolyn Kindle Betts her favorite colors, pink and blue. So I got to go pink and blue. Pink and blue. There's going to be, there has to be some pink in there. You think? See, because I've yeah. been watching those videos intently and I think it's more of a red. Really? Well, okay. have, you, have you seen it? It's like yeah. red with the yellow yeah. and... Some blue in there. I'm not the person to ask about colors. Well, the, I say I've seen online. There's been some debate. People are saying, "Is this kind is of a pink? burnt salmon? Yeah. Is it a light red?" Mm-hmm. People are really pulling out those color swatches to kind yeah. of compare what this is. But you could make an argument either way. Take it or leave it. You turn into a uh, investigative reporter as soon as any team is about to release any kind of logo or information about stuff like this. Oh, totally take oh, it. Yeah. Take it seriously. Yeah. yeah, well, they leave little breadcrumbs, you know. Right. It's up to you to discern what those are. And many times, especially with NFL reveals, they'll be released to like Dick's Sporting Goods or something like that or Lids, and inevitably somebody will put it on the internet. Yeah, there's no greater time for internet reporting than if a head coach is about to get hired mm-hmm. because you're right. looking at, at flight logs. And those all are the best. The best. <laughs> and when a team name is going to be released. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite things. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. Bennington will have a goals against average of under two for this series. <laughs> I think that's a great over under. And I'm going to I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. But I don't think it's going to be much over two. I don't either. But I'm going to leave it. Yeah. Take it or leave it. He gets a shutout in the series. I'll take it. OK, I'm not going to. <laughs> Somebody's following up from yesterday. Take it or leave it. Randy, you had cinnamon crunch last night, or cinnamon toast crunch for dinner last night. I'm going to leave that, but I did have a handful, though, in the evening. Was it as good without milk? No, it's better with milk. Yeah, it is better with milk. This one from the 314. Take it or leave it. If Jordan Bennington is the number one star, it's going to be a very stressful night for all of us. Oh, take it. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. Without a doubt, take it. Yeah, one nothing or 2-1. I think it's going to be a stressful night regardless. I am very nervous heading into this game. Yeah, I hope they aren't nervous. No, of course they're not nervous. Do they look nervous? Bennington's not nervous. You know, they don't look nervous, but they certainly don't look ready to go. (laughs) 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Take it or leave it. You would want to be in charge of picking out the team colors for the new MLS team. I'm going to leave that. I don't think that would be something that people would want me to do because of my level of colorblindness. (laughs) 
Yes, you specifically. <laughs> yeah, I think if uh, you're coming up with colors for a new team, maybe one of the first questions you'd be asked in that interview process is, are you colorblind? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like uh, one of the only qualifications yeah. that you need to do that job is to be able to see all the colors. What colors are you going with? I don't know. That navy looks black to me. <laughs> the blob on the left? I always thought forever that the bears wore black. Really? Yep. Okay, so if you're colorblind, what colors can you not see? So like a a really, uh, a navy black, a dark green black, or for example, if there's a penny on a green, the the copper penny on a green, I have trouble picking it out. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't stand out to me at all. That's crazy. Yeah. So. So yeah, we're not going to assign you to that job. No, don't give me that job. (laughs) I think I would like it. Um, it would be stressful, though, because inevitably there's going to be someone that doesn't like it. You know that you can't please everybody. You can't, no. so that's So it's a stressful job, but it would be really fun to put together color combinations because I'm assuming that the person that's putting that together knows the team name. Mm-hmm. So you want to find a color scheme that reflects the city and reflects the new name and reflects the culture and identity that you're trying to project. So I, I imagine that it's kind of a fun game. A lot of mood boards, I'd imagine. Now, if you were doing this uh, for a St. Louis team, would you go with red and blue to honor the Cardinals and the Blues? Or the St. Louis City flag. You know, those are the colors of the city yeah. flag. Red, blue, yellow, black, I think is in there, yeah, right? That would be good. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's kind of a, it's a nod to the city, but it's also a nod to the other two professional yeah. franchises in town. I think it's, I, I think it's a classic choice if that's what they decide to do. Thank you, Scotty. You got it, man. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Next up. Will a college football season get completed if it gets started? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 8.02. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Bernie Federko coming up in about 15 minutes. We're going to talk about the Blues opener against Vancouver tonight. Michelle, the big news nationally yesterday was that two college football conferences decided not to play in the fall, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Pac-12 says they might try to give it a shot in the spring if the pandemic calms down. News this morning that the Big 12 will continue moving forward with the intent of playing fall football uh, confirming a Yahoo Sports report ESPN got confirmation that the conference's board of directors met for more than an hour yesterday to discuss the future of the season and they say they plan on rocking and rolling isn't it interesting that the big 12 when they're making this decision suddenly holds all the power it is because they're the swing conference there and it's such a weird conference because it's dominated or has been dominated by Texas and Oklahoma. And I have to believe that when they do have a board of directors meeting, that really the only people talking are Texas and Oklahoma. Everybody else just kind of follows along in the Big 12. At least that's the way it was when Mizzou was there. I would imagine that's probably still the case, especially in regards to college football. Now you have the two conferences that decided not to play and you have teams that want to play, specifically Iowa and Nebraska, reportedly being the schools that voted against canceling the Big 10 season. Nebraska issuing a release saying that we want to play, we can we plan on playing. So Maybe Nebraska and Iowa get together and join another conference for the season? 
I could see them having those discussions. What do you think other conferences would say about that? What do you think the SEC is going to say if Nebraska gives them a call and says, hey, can we hop on with you guys? Let's ask somebody who is a little bit more inside with this than we are, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. I had a SEC uh, administrator uh, text me yesterday when all that came out, when Scott Frost said, we'll, we'll go find our own schedule to play if the Big Ten cancels. And an SEC administrator texted me and said, "We don't want them." So that 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 uh, tells you how maybe the just the fire between the conferences and the the competitive nature between the conferences. Now, obviously, <laughs> if Nebraska does, for example, join the Big Twelve for the year, that's going to piss off the Big Ten because that's part of the Big Ten's TV deal, and they're not allowed to do that. I believe, even if the Big Ten isn't playing. But I I think it would be interesting to have Nebraska go back to the Big 12 for a year and play against Oklahoma and have Iowa join that league and play Iowa State just for one year. What the heck? Hey, Say, hey, we want to play. We won't take any money for it. We just want to play. What do you think that, from a long-term ramification standpoint, between Nebraska and the Big 10, what do you think would happen if Nebraska said, hey, conference, you say you're not going to play. We're hopping on with the Big 12 for a year. You can't stop us. We'll, we'll see in 2021. What do you think they would do? I think it would probably cause irreparable harm. And I think the product that the Big Ten got, as opposed to the product that they thought they were going to get, is not nearly as good. I don't think it would bother the Big Ten that much if they would lose Nebraska. And then you can just, in college parlance, run Rutgers off and go back to being 12 teams without those two schools. Oh, Randy, you know, you can't run Rutgers off. They bring in that New York market. Oh, yeah, they do. We can't do that. That, Talk about irreparable damage. There's no way the Big Ten could survive without that New York market that Rutgers brings in. (laughs) Yeah, you want to expand your footprint so that all those New York people will watch college football and they'll watch you. They'll watch the Big Ten Network because of Rutgers. Yeah, same thing with Maryland and D.C. Really got to get that East Coast television audience in on Big Ten football. Did you realize that Rutgers is played more college football games than any other institution? I had not because I never think about Rutgers football. Nobody does. <laughs> Do people that go to Rutgers even think about Rutgers football? No, so no, how with the, all due respect. How, yeah, with all due respect. Yeah. How they have played more games than anybody else is bewildering to me, but that is indeed the case. I read that this morning. So wow. I just want you to know that's something that I want on the 4 o'clock fight. What school has played the most? The more you know. I, I will never forget when that was the selling point about <laughs> including Rutgers into the Big Ten. Yeah. And I remember thinking, my family is from New Jersey, and they couldn't care less about college <laughs> football, specifically Rutgers football. Right. Do they even you know, have the temperature of that market or that part of the country when it comes to college football? <laughs> and really? You're going to get Rutgers? Yeah, it, it just wasn't going to happen. And if, if you were the Big Ten and you wanted to get your footprint expanded and you wanted to get into that market, there was only one play, and that was convincing Notre Dame. That was the only play to get into that market. Yeah, Rutgers, 1,361 games. Navy is second. Oh, and yeah, that makes sense. Michigan, Nebraska, Penn State are three, four, five. Yeah, those make sense. Rutgers does not. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I do believe, Michelle, that if the SEC and the ACC get started, that they will play a season, especially with as many players as are available. If you have a couple of positive tests and you even if you have an outbreak like the Marlins or the Cardinals, where you have 17 or 18 players, you've got 105 plus walk ons at most of these schools. 
you can get through it. Now, your product might not be as good, but the product isn't as important as the money at the end of the season and playing this national championship, right? Right. I think that they end the season. If they start on September 26th, I would be stunned if college football didn't end the season. If they're on August 12th, still defiant about the fact that they're going to play, they're steadfast, as Coach Drink told us yesterday. The SEC is steadfast in their decision to start the season on September 26th. And if they're watching the Big Ten say, hey, we're not going to play the Pac-12, and they're coming out with a statement saying, hey, we're still going to Mm -hmm. do this, I think that if they start the season, they're going to continue for it. Unless, God forbid, something really, really tragic happens, I think they're going to find a way to rationalize it, and they will continue to play. And I do like that they're starting on September 26th. September, I can do stuff. Half of October, I can do stuff outside in St. Louis. I can go for a bike ride. I can play golf. We get to the second half of October and November, and I am downstairs many days on Saturdays with my blues snuggie, watching the (laughs) SEC at 2.30 in the afternoon, watching the SEC at night on ESPN, and I do want to watch those games. So do I. I think everybody wants to to watch those games. But I'm games. talking about at the expense of... Uh, I, I really do think that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are doing the right thing. And I don't think that the SEC, if they play, are doing the right thing. But I would be willing to consume the wrong thing. Oh, if they make the decision that yep. it's the right thing for them... Who am I to not watch That's it? That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> I, what will, I'm saying. I will definitely be watching it. Okay, so we had Take It or Leave It last segment. Take It or Leave It. If the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 go on with the season and they finish it and nothing catastrophic happens, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are on the hot seat. Stupid. Yeah, yep. they are. Big time. So we just admitted that we're hypocritical, which is a good thing. That's a That self-awareness is something that is necessary in society. Oh, self-awareness we're, is huge. And we're, we're trying to preach that. As you say, read the room. Read the room, man. And we have, and we're willing to admit that, yeah, even if young men's lives are at stake here, as long as they're giving us our college football, damn it, we're going to accept it. I think if someone says, hey, I am not going to watch SEC football this this fall because I think what they're doing is wrong. You're lying to yourself. Yes. And yes, we are hypocritical because I do think what the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are doing is the right thing for the student athletes. They're they're looking at this from a panel of scientific and medical experts yep. that have told them this is not a smart thing to do. You need to protect these student athletes and the coaches and all the other people that are involved in this operation. Even if it's at the expense of hundreds of millions of dollars, this is what you should do. This was not an easy decision for these conferences to arrive at. And I respect them for tabling the money to look at the greater picture of health and safety and protect athletes in a way that they've, let's be honest, never protected them before. But no, that's right. But if other conferences are going to play, I'm going to watch. And that is hypocritical. And there is a lot of gray area in there. And I do think that the Big Ten and Pac-12 are just kind of assuming that these other conferences are going to follow suit. even if so, yeah. Even if they're publicly saying that they're not. Right. And I would be surprised. September 26th is the date that Coach Drink gave us yesterday. If they make a decision in the SEC, it's not coming until a month from today, September 12th. Right. Right? They're going to... Two weeks beforehand, they might say, we're not playing. But... 
It's not going to come any earlier than that. It's going to come right down to the last minute that they have to decide. I would think so. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's big thing on 101. E- or that's the fresh take, actually, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head into the Blues booth and talk to our friend, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, about game one between the Blues and the Vancouver Canucks. That's coming your way tonight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We have the Blues and the Vancouver Canucks game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs for 2020 tonight. You'll hear the pregame at 8.30 here on 101 ESPN with the game at 9.30 if you're driving around. And if you're at home, you'll see Bernie Federko on the pregame show with the action starting at 9.30 on FS Midwest as well. And our friend, Hockey Hall of Famer and Fox Sports Midwest analyst Bernie Federko is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with Michelle and Randy. Bernie, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. It's uh, great to have hockey back. What is the morning of a first playoff game like for a player? Uh, a little nervous for the most part, uh, but I think uh, I mean everybody understands that this is it's for real now. And I think that uh, the Blues of all teams, that I think both Blues and Boston after the regular seasons that we had before the uh, shutdown, uh, I think they really understand they got to get back to playing that kind of type of hockey because I think they. Relax too much, relaxing during the uh, the round robin, uh, and I think everybody understands that uh, this is the way it starts now. And I think that everybody will be a little more nervous. I think get a little everybody a little little more excited about what they have to do. So I, I think this is going to be really good for for all the players to, tonight. Speaking of intensity level, Bernie, are you concerned at all that Vancouver's already had one round where they're up to playoff intensity hockey, while the Blues had this round robin and they're coming into it at a seemingly different intensity level? Yeah, that probably is a little concern, myself because, uh, I mean, I think we saw the emotion yesterday watching that game. I mean, I still can't believe that game went five overtime <laughs> periods, but uh, when you see the emotion in that game, and, you know, certainly Columbus had the edge in that playing the, uh, you know, the five-game series against Toronto, and I think that really helped them a little bit, but uh, I think for the Blues, they're going to have to, they, they've been there before. I think that's the good news. I mean, yes, Vancouver's uh, been through a round. They, they've got that excitement from, from winning a, a series already, but uh, I think the experience that the Blues have uh, should really, uh, you know, hold them in and, and at least, uh, you know, they know what they understand what, what what's going to happen. I, I think that should help them. Do you recall the longest game you ever played? <laughs> um, you know, it was what double overtime. We uh, it was against Pittsburgh, I believe, that when, when Mike Crombie. And I think that was okay. double overtime. I think yeah. That was the longest one. Yeah. Yeah, and those are so intense. But Michelle and I were talking earlier about how physically taxing it must be to play more than two hockey games in a night. Well, you know, Randy, the watching that game, I mean, I was very impressed with just watching the uh, the faces on, on, you know, with the camera angles on the faces. I mean, the guys were really not hurting that bad. And I mean, you know, they made that explanation about maybe, you know, that they had four and a half months and maybe their the fatigue's not there like it would normally be if you've gone through a whole regular season and and then are playing in the playoffs. But uh, I was very impressed with the way the guys handled it. Yes, I mean, it's, it's grueling. I think the, the thing about hockey now compared to our day, I think that, I mean, you've got four lines that are going, I mean, uh, the shifts are only 45 seconds long. So, you you know, you, and yeah, I think the shot shifts even got shorter as that game went on. So I think the guys really handled themselves really well. I think the coaching staffs of both teams yesterday really handled them, uh, the team very well. And, and it looked like those guys could have played forever. And then, you know, you're going to get a break sooner or later where someone's going to score. And um, that did happen for Tampa. And, and it was, but it was a hell of a game. And I, I was, re- I was really, really impressed with the way the guys really handled it. 
Bernie, when you look at this matchup between the Blues and the Canucks, what are a couple factors that you're taking into account that you think could swing this thing? Well, I look at goaltending, Michelle. The biggest thing that I look at, uh, you know, what the Blues have got the experience is when it comes to goal. I mean, Jordan Bennington won 16 games in the playoffs last year, and I think that's really the biggest factor for the Blues. I mean, he carried the Blues an awful lot of the games last year. I think he was absolutely outstanding during these round-robin games, too, as well. So, I mean, he's got a lot of confidence. And I think that when you look at, uh, you know, Markstrom or even Demko, whoever's going to play for Vancouver, I mean, I think that's where the, the issue becomes. I mean, yeah, Markstrom played that four playoff games, but I mean, you can count that first round as playoffs, but it really it's not, the big boys haven't been in yet. Now that the 16 teams are there, uh, the Blues are one of the big boy teams now, so we'll, we'll see how Vancouver handles it, but I, I think the experience that the Blues have, um, I mean, that's going to be a factor. I think special teams is going to be very, very much a factor too. I mean, Vancouver had good special teams during the season, so did the Blues, and I think when, um, you know, you're, you know we, we saw a lot of penalties called in 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 the first kind of series, I mean, there were not that many penalties called yesterday, which was I was kind of happy to see that in the games. But uh, I think that uh, those are the two factors for the Blues. If they could have really good special teams and if they get good goaltending again, I think that's going to be the key for them for the series. Hall of Famer Bernie Federico with us on 101 ESPN. And Bernie, as you know, we have back-to-back games on Sunday and Monday. Would you expect that we'll see Jake Allen in one of those games? And how would you feel about him getting a shot in a playoff game? I have no problem with Jake playing in a playoff game. I mean, for him to go through the whole the playoffs last year with really not even playing other than just me coming in, you know, as in a relief, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's very unusual to put it that way. But uh, uh, I still I look at Jordan Bennington. He's still a young guy. I mean, I, I, I think that if he's playing well, I, I don't know if there's any reason uh, to even uh, not have him play all the games. But uh, in back-to-back games, certainly that is a possibility. And I know that the Blues and the coaching staff have a lot of confidence in the way Jake played this year as well. So uh, I guess you know we'll probably have to look at Randy and see what the series is at that point in time. After the first three games, uh, where do the Blues sit in game four to whether or not they're going to go with a different goaltender or not. So, uh, But both guys, both both very, very capable. I thought Jake played great against Dallas the other night, too, uh, You know, in the last game of the round robin. So uh, when, when it comes to goaltending, I don't think that uh, uh, that's going to be a problem at all. Bernie, we know that Ivan Barbashev came back to St. Louis for the birth of his child and that he's going back and he's quarantining. But what's going to be the impact of not having Barbie out there on the ice for the Blues early on? Well, I mean, he's he, he was an integral part last year on that fourth line. I mean, that was one of the best lines that the Blues had during the, especially the last round of the playoffs against Boston. But uh, I think the Blues are very capable, you know, with, with Mackenzie McEachern or whether it's Brower in there. Uh, the Blues have a lot of depth, and uh, you know it's 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 the energy kind of guys that you need, and that's kind of what Barbie is. He finishes his checks uh, and plays very well. With uh, I mean, him and Sundquist seem to have that uh, real connection there, especially when they're killing penalties. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a factor, but it's not like not having Tarasenko or O'Reilly in the lineup. I mean, Barbie is a, a big part of the hockey club as far as the chemistry goes, but I, I think that still, yeah, they'd like to have him in there, and he'll be back there in there hopefully soon enough, but. Uh, I think whether it's going to be Bauer or McEachern, I don't think that uh, really they really do miss much of a beat. And Bernie, you mentioned special teams. The Blues had the number three power play in the league during the regular season, not so much during this round-robin tournament. Is there anything that you see with the, the power play that concerns you or that you think they could fix easily? Well, they just weren't in really the whole thing, not even just the power play, Randy. I mean, they couldn't score goals. I mean, they really, their passing was off. I mean, they just didn't seem to be all on the same page. And, um, you know, uh, confidence is not a lot 
when when you're when you start scoring goals, score one or two goals, and you get yourself in a situation where it's really good, where you're saying, okay, you know, this is going to be easy now. We'll just can continue to go do what we're supposed to do. But I mean, they just seem to be not clicking on anything, and I think it's just a matter of uh, you know just the communication level again. Everybody knows what they have to do, and I think when you look at how good it was, I mean. Uh, I think that another thing is they can't look at now that Vladdy's back. I think they can't say, okay, well, we're going to be okay. Vladdy's going to be there. We have to use him. And I think that there's two different units. They've got to get back to just being what they were and, and not even thinking about what they do. Because, I mean, when you move the puck around, when, you play, when you're playing with confidence, there's really no thought process at all. You're, you're just playing. Bernie, heading into the Dallas game, the players had a, a players-only meeting to address their their play and things that were going on in the round robin. Does that give you confidence that they know they're identifying what the issues are and they're already taking steps to communicate about it moving into this first round? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they want to win. I mean, there's uh, you get paid to win in this league now. You're not playing hockey to have fun. I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be fun, and it is a lot of fun when you're winning uh, games, but... Um, they have a job to do, and they understand that. And uh, I think they were frustrated, and it's good when when everybody has a voice uh, in the room. And that's what what usually happens when you you know usually you just have your leaders that do the speaking. But when you have a, a you know just a players only meeting, it's closed door. Um, you know, usually the leaders want to hear from from everybody in the room to see what they think is going on. So I think it's just a matter of coming together. I mean, I think that they probably talked about um, hey what we did last year winning a Stanley Cup is not going to help us right now unless we start playing better. We're going to start playing together and doing the, the things that we need do, to do for each other. And I think that's why they were so successful last year is that they played for each other. And I think maybe there was been uh, through this round robin, there was too much relaxing. There was too much maybe playing for themselves instead of playing for each other. And uh, those are good things to have. And um, you know what, it happens a lot more than people think. I mean, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's a closed door meeting. I think there's a lot of meetings that go on during a year that you don't even, that, that really the fans don't hear about or the media doesn't hear about because the guys just need to, you know, they need to communicate all the time. And uh, if there's something that has happened um, even off the ice, I mean, the guys need to talk about it. So I think it was good that they got together and, and everybody knows they got together and now they just got to play better on the ice. And I think that's the most important thing. You can talk all you want, but uh, when you get on the ice, that's when, when you have to speak the loudest. And, and, and certainly they now now is the time that it has to start. I mean, you've got a best of seven series now. You either win four or you're going home. And I think they understand that. They've been there before. And, and let's hope that they can find their game quicker than uh, the what, what we saw during this round robin. What is the Bernie Federico prediction for this series? I think this is going to be a long series. I think this is going to be very, very hard, very difficult. And, uh, you know, for, for me, you guys, I, I, you know what, I'm watching what I saw uh, yesterday was, was very impressive. But, you know, we're in the first round. I mean, this is, uh, um, uh, you know, no fans. It, it's totally different. I mean, so I, I don't even know, um, you know, what can happen in, 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 in you know, in, in two more months of, of hockey, but I think that this is going to be a tough series, and and I really think that the Blues' goaltending is going to, is going to be the difference in this series. And I think that that the Blues will win this series for sure. Bernie, love having you on. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have a good time tonight. We'll be watching, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. That is Bernie Federico here on 101 ESPN. We started our show, Carriker and Smallman, on May 4th. Mm-hmm. Now it's August 12th, so we've had May, June, July, half of August. We've had Bernie every Wednesday, and we finally have a real meaningful hockey game to talk about. It has been a long road to get here. <laughs> it, <has. laughs> it really has. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, the fight. We've got a returning fighter, I believe, right? 
So stick around. The fight is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman, 8.34 in the morning, which means it is time for the fight. And we love today's fight because we have a returning fighter, Mikey, was able to defeat Randy yesterday. And he is back for another crack at it on his path towards a potential Hall of Fame bid. Mikey, good morning. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? We are doing good over here. We've got some coffee working. We've got some cake in the studio that we're going to eat today. We had cereal yesterday. So maybe cereal seemed to be Randy's kryptonite yesterday. So maybe this cake in the studio will distract him today. Hoping so. Hoping so. All right, Mikey, let's get things rolling. Question number one. The first Big Ten quarterback drafted in the 2020 NFL draft was from what school? Iowa, Northwestern, or Michigan? Northwestern. All right, question number two for you, Mikey. How many game ones did the Blues win in last year's Stanley Cup playoffs? One, two, or three? One of them Winnipeg. Um, let's say two. Mikey, who is second to Jason Isringhausen and all-time saves for the Cardinals? Lee Smith, Todd Rorell, or Trevor Rosenthal? And your final question, Mikey, number four. Who's the only Pac-12 team to ever be in the college football playoff? Is it Washington, Oregon, or USC? I don't think Oregon's made it yet. Let's say Washington. Okay. Checking score here. And Randy is on his way back in the studio. Mikey, are you a Michael? Uh, I am by law, I guess the right word is. <laughs> um, does anyone, do you get annoyed if people call you Michael or Mike? Oh, yeah. I hate it. <laughs> See, because I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Randy's a Randy, obviously a Randall that goes by Randy. I don't like when people call me Shelly. I'm a Michelle, not a Shelly. So I feel like if you say my name is Mikey, I can imagine how annoying it would be if people called you Mike or Michael. Oh, yeah. My business cards actually say Mikey on them. Nice. Love that. Well, Randy, not Randall, is here in the studio. Randy, say good morning to Mikey again. Mikey, welcome back. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, Randall is stuffy. Randy is loose and happy and fun. Randall is, oh, hey, Tad and Biff, you want to come and play golf at the club? Yeah. (laughs) I I love lacrosse. I'm Randall. (laughs) Uh, I'm surprised you are Randall. I can't imagine us anything but Randy. And I I don't like when people call me Shelly. I can't imagine somebody calling you Shelly. You are such a non-Shelly. I know, right? The guys at ESPN used to call me Shelly to annoy oh, me. They oh, would yeah. they would do it. as, And I know a, a lot of people with the name Shelly, and it fits them. My aunt's name is Shelly. It fits her great. It just does not fit me. It's not no. my personality. Right. Exactly. You want to know a fun fact, though? Yeah. My very first interview situation in radio, they told me, you should change your name to Shelly Smalls. <laughs> It just kind of runs. It's a it's a better radio name. Who told you that? Shelly Smalls. And I was like, you know what? I don't think this place is going to be a fit for me, but thanks for the interview. <laughs> Shelly, can you imagine that? Like, I'm Shelly Smalls reporting live. <laughs> no. Terrible. Anyway, Randy, question number one. Yes. 
The first Big Ten quarterback drafted in the 2020 NFL Draft was from what school? This past draft. Uh, so it wasn't an Ohio State quarterback. Probably wasn't Michigan. So let's see. We've got Illinois, Indiana, Iowa. There had to be one here. Penn State. Um, Minnesota. This is, um, who was it? There had to be a good quarterback in the Big Ten, didn't there? <laughs> so, okay, so Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, um, Penn State, Iowa, Minnesota. I can't think of a good uh, quarterback from the Big Ten last year, so I'll, I'll do the lifeline. Is it Iowa, Northwestern, or Michigan? Northwestern did not have a good quarterback situation last year. Michigan Patterson? I guess I'll go with him. All right, question number two for you, Randy. How many game ones did the Blues win in last year's Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, they won game one against Winnipeg because they were up two games to none. And then against Dallas, they lost game one. And then San Jose, they lost game one. And then Boston, they definitely lost game one. So I'm going to say one. Randy, who is second to Jason Isringhausen in all-time saves for the Cardinals? Big Lee Smith. And your final question, Randy, who's the only Pac-12 team to ever be in the college football playoff? Oregon. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Mikey, congratulations. Another victory versus Randy. I'm telling you, it's the food in the studio. I'm not going to be here tomorrow, so you better hope that Scott brings in something to distract Randy. But let's <laughs> run through. some cinnamon rolls. There you go. Carb heavy. That's the play. All right, let's run through the answers here. Randy, the first, and Mikey as well. You guys both got this wrong. The first Big Ten quarterback drafted in the 2020 NFL draft was Nate Stanley from Iowa. Seventh round, last quarterback of the draft. The Blues won two game ones in last year's Stanley Cup playoffs. They beat Winnipeg and Dallas. Lee Smith is second to Jason Isringhausen in all-time saves for the Cardinals. And the only Pac-12 team to ever be in the college football playoff is Washington. Mikey, thank you so much for playing, and they will talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Mikey. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle will not be here tomorrow because it's her birthday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that a thing as an adult that you just take off your your birthday? Are you going to take off your birthday? Is that a day that uh, we're Probably work? not because... I have to check on the calendar. I, I, there's Yours nothing, is right after mine. Yeah, there's nothing going on at my house before I get home anyway. So it's no big deal that I, I work. So. I know. I, I wrestled with taking it off or not. And then I, you know, was convinced to do it. But it just... Yeah. Everybody's celebrating a birthday in 2020, which is obviously everyone alive. I feel like no one cares about their birthday this year. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like, whatever, yeah. pass it on. We do have a text here, and you might want to double check this, Scotty. I don't know, but I said Oregon. Uh, but the uh, text line says your last question is wrong, that Oregon was in the playoff in 2014 and Washington in 2017. All right, let me get back to him. Okay, sounds good. It's 
Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. The Bomberito 500 is coming up later this month. And we're going to talk to Chuck Wallace from the Bomberito Automotive Group about the race next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. As it turns out, the <laughs> for the fight had an incorrect answer because there were more than two or more than one Pac-12 team that has played in the playoff. Thank you to the best listeners in sports for identifying this error immediately. We have looked into it, and I just want everyone to know I am launching an official campaign, hashtag free Randy. <laughs> Thanks. Because, Randy, the question was wrong. I feel like you got job there. We're still obviously going to extend the invitation to Mikey to come back tomorrow because he did, even if you would have gotten it right, he still would have beat you by one point. But still, if we had free Kevin, I think we it's only fair that we do free Randy. I agree. I'm sorry to all of the listeners out there, and I thank you so much for making sure that I never have an incorrect question or phrase on the fight. I will just continue to work diligently to make sure it doesn't happen again. Thank you, Scotty. Both Oregon and Washington have played for the championship. Let's head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Chuck Wallace from the Bomberito Automotive Group joins us. The Bomberito 500 taking place at the Worldwide Technology Speedway coming up August 29th and 30th. Chuck, we always like having you on to talk about the race. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? Everything's great, and this is going to be... it is every year such a fun weekend, and it's amazing what the Indy cars do and the, the effect that they can have on you when you get to a race. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. Uh, it's turned into the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 Mega Weekend. Uh, they've added two races. Uh, it's the first time, so we're going to have an Indy car race on Saturday. We're going to have another one on Sunday. Excited about it. And. Obviously, Chuck, this is a great opportunity for people to get some wall-to-wall action here. You have four nationally televised broadcasts in 26 hours. Yeah, it's going to be great. You got ARCA and uh, IndyCar on Saturday, and then you got NASCAR truck and IndyCar on Sunday. It's going to be a huge weekend. And tickets are available, and there's going to be social distancing that takes place, but a great value for people that want to get out to the raceway. Yeah, I think there's a strong. Um, I think there's a lot of people that want to get outside. And, you know, it's 600 acres over there, so there's plenty of space. There's going to be social distancing. The track's got a great plan. Um, so Indy's going to run the weekend before us, so that's going to benefit us. And they're going to they're running without fans, so I think some of the Indy, Indy people are going to make it over to St. Louis to see our race, but it's going to be a huge weekend. It's the, it's the largest race weekend in St. Louis history. Oh, wow. Well, not only that, you know, so many – things that are happening in sports fans can't get to. So to not only have fans be there, but have these nationally televised broadcasts, it's really great exposure for the region, for the city, and for the uh, facilities, really. Oh, yeah, it's worth it's worth over $50 million back when it was just a single-day single run. So it's going to be big. I mean, you got NASCAR truck and IndyCar running the same day. You know, the Bomberito Chevrolet number 3, uh, Bomberito car, NASCAR Jordan Anderson's going to be there. Now, we also have a sponsorship with uh, Basser Sullivan on an IndyCar with uh, Santino Ferrucci. So, you know, as a Bomberito group, we're very, very excited about it. And it'll be Tony Kanaan's last IndyCar appearance here at the Worldwide Technology Raceway, too. He won the Indy. He's been an IndyCar champ. He's one of the most popular drivers in racing. And we get a chance here in St. Louis to say goodbye to one of the all-time greats. Yeah, he is a super great driver. And, you know, he'll be missed, but he's a, he's a champion. You know, you've got eight IndyCar or Indy 500 racers that are going to be in this race, so it's going to be it's going to be great. 
uh, t- uh, 200 laps, uh, 200 laps on, on each race. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to be a full weekend. I mean, go to uh, WW, go to the racetrack, WW worldwide technology raceway. And you can get the schedule, but and it's, it's two full days of action. And people can learn more by going to the Bomberito website, bomberito.com. And you don't have to be an auto racing enthusiast. There's so much that's going on. There's great food. It's going to be outdoors. And the, if you've never seen a race, you should get out to see an IndyCar race. That's the great thing about it is it's right here in our backyard. Yeah, it's 200 miles an hour, over 200 miles an hour on the straightaways. And um, if you've never seen that, you know, they're racing between two concrete walls. It's something to see, and it's open wheel. Uh, NASCAR trucks exciting. You know, it's uh, it, it, this is the weekend to come. I mean, this is a huge weekend with all the racing that's going on. You know, Curtis and Chris out at the track have done an incredible job putting this deal together and keeping it together and working with the state of Illinois to make things make things work for us. And it's a great value, a two-day ticket price starting at just $99 for all that racing. You can get out there for both days and enjoy yourself. Enjoy the fresh air, the sunshine, and all-American family fun at the Bomberito 500, August 29th and 30th at the Worldwide Technology Raceway over in Madison, Illinois. Chuck, it's always great to have you with us. Thanks, and have a great day. Yeah, thank you very much. You too. Have a great day. See you later. This is Chuck Wallace from the Bomberito Automotive Group and the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 coming up later this month right here in the St. Louis area. Sounds like a great opportunity. You get to be outside. I mean, summer is almost over, Randy, and we haven't had a lot of sports experiences live in the flesh. So definitely head out there. And the ticket prices for a two-day event, pretty reasonable, right? It's 99 bucks. Yep. I've had the opportunity uh, two years ago to get out there, and it really is different just to experience the sound and how fierce the IndyCar races are. And uh, we, we've had NASCAR races out at Gateway, but the IndyCar races are just different. Like he said, they're going 200 miles an hour, and the sound they make, it rumbles your stomach. It's great. When you're down there, kind of sta- standing in the infield or standing near the track, obviously not even when uh, the cars are there, just mm-hmm. to look around and see how big it is, it's a totally different experience than seeing it on TV. Michelle, a couple of things. Number one, we have... Wall-to-wall hockey today here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario is going to be talking hockey from 6 until 9.30. He'll have the behind-the-bench show from 6 to 7, and then from 7 to 8.30, a Blues preview show. And then the Blues pregame is at 8.30 tonight, leading up to the faceoff at 9.30. And we're going to be airing a lot of NBA action here as we get to the playoffs and the NBA finals. If you haven't watched... There are some stars being born in Orlando. T.J. Warren is averaging about 35 points a game for the Pacers. Uh, You have Dame Lillard scoring 61 last night. There have been six instances, Michelle, in NBA history where a player has scored 60 points and been perfect from the free throw line. Damian Lillard has three of those this season alone. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's Kobe Bryant, it's Kemba Walker, it's three superstars that have yeah. done it, and then he's done it himself three times this year. That has been one of the things that's come out of these bubbles, the NHL, the NBA. I think a lot of us were wondering what level of competition we were going to get mm-hmm. once these guys were put in this environment, having had their seasons paused and then having to restart, being in this space with no fans. What was it going to look like? And we were seeing some great hockey last night, obviously, yep. five overtime game, and now we're seeing some great NBA as well. And if you have not watched Devin Booker, yesterday Devin Booker decided after faking a pass, he was at the logo 
virtually midcourt and said, no, I'll just shoot. He He's shooting like Steph Curry. Keep an eye on Devin Booker of the Suns, especially if they make the playoffs and they have the Lakers in the first round. DeAndre Ayton's playing better than he ever has. The Suns are interesting. The Pacers are interesting. The Blazers are interesting. There are some really intriguing teams here that are not the Lakers, Clippers, or Bucks. In addition to those teams, right, which right. opens up the field of interest. How about, by the way, that dagger from Kyle Kuzma the other night oh to my. end the game? How fun was that? Yeah, and uh, who expects him, of all people, to hit the game winner for the Lakers at the end? Not me. No, me either. So the, that's been fun. And the bubble has worked, by the way. Zero positive. Perfectly. Zero for, positive test. Yeah, for the NBA and the NHL. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, five overtimes last night for the Lightning and Blue Jackets. That was something. We'll review that. Plus, is the Big 12 really going to play? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle won't be here tomorrow because tomorrow is Michelle's birthday. <laughs> So today is birthday cake day for Michelle. Thank you, Randy. And we have been eating it during the break. I don't know what it is about the past two days, but we've been we've been eating on this show. Yes, we have. But Randy brought in his world-famous carrot cake. You can see him actually make this cake on 101ESPN.com because he makes it on his grill. Yeah, on the Traeger. Not just saying this, this is not hyperbole. It's the best cake I've ever had in my life. I am really glad to hear that, especially for somebody who doesn't like carrot cake. I don't like carrot cake. Usually, I would take almost every other option before landing on the carrot cake. But there's just something about the specific cake, Randy. It's it's the perfect density. It still has, um, you know, texture to it, but it's not overpowering. It's not too carroty. The outside edges have a little crispness to them. And then you make this killer, what is it, cream cheese frosting yes. on the top? Oh, amazing. I'm glad you enjoy it. Well, Scotty's over here having some, too. He says it's great as well. Yeah, and you even made an alternate version to fit my uh, nut allergy. Yeah, I gave Michelle one to take home that has walnuts on it, and then I made one without walnuts because last time I brought one in, (laughs) Scott ate it even though he had the nut allergy. That tells you how good this cake is. Scott put his (laughs) life at risk to eat some of it. I just, I didn't finish strong, but I I tried. (laughs) What happens to you? you Uh, I'll get some hives. My throat will get really dry and swollen, which is what started happening after I had the one walnut. I was like, oh, I don't know. I haven't had a walnut in a long time. Maybe I'll be all right. And I was like, Oh, we need to video this Maybe sometime. I should stop. Yeah, next time that happens, let us know. Yeah. Content. Yeah, we'll do. I was glad you're okay, though. <laughs> but really, this cake is worth it. It is so good, so you should definitely check out the video. Free plug, by the way, for the video. But for real, if you want to make the best cake of your life and impress everyone that knows you, head to 101ESPN.com and check out this cake. It's 9.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And last night, as... Columbus and Tampa were playing in that five-overtime game. All three of us were texting with each other about how how locked in we were and how interesting that game was, how you just couldn't take your eyes away from it because the longer it went and the more guys seemingly got worn out, the better the competition became. It was unbelievable. And 88 shots on goal for the Lightning against Columbus. Anybody else feel like Pat Maroon was going to make something special happen? I thought so, yeah. (laughs) I thought so, too. But, yeah, watching that game, I was exhausted watching them play towards the end there. I I don't know how they were able to dig that deep and muster up 
the energy to do it and do it at that level. It was really impressive. It was a very fun game to watch. We talked earlier about how this could affect Columbus. I think the bigger thing is how it can affect and enhance the confidence of Tampa because last year they were swept by Columbus in the first round after having one of the great seasons in the history of the league. And they haven't been known as a really physically tough team And a game like last night has to tell a team, yeah, we can play a physically tough, demanding game and win it and go through this whole process, the whole Stanley Cup playoff process, and not be worried that it's going to wear us down. Unless you're already just worn down after that game. But I think you're right. Had Tampa Bay been the team to lose that, I don't know from a from a mental standpoint, you'd have to really, really push it aside because those those demons from last year yep, start to creep in. Yep. And fortunately for them, they did have Maroon, and he he didn't score, but he was an impact on that game, and his size and his ruggedness played a role last night, and I think it'll play a role throughout the rest of the series, too. Yeah. Were you cheering for Tampa Bay in that scenario because of him? Yeah, I was. So, me too. Yeah, I, I don't want to see them in the Stanley Cup Finals, but I don't mind seeing them win in the East for a while. Right. I kind of hope Boston wins again. I, I hope for a rematch. I want to see Marshawn cry again. That would be beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm with you. If the Blues advance to that point, I would love to see Boston again just because there was so much animosity there. It's You you want those feelings again. You want to think about how we felt with the Blackhawks in an exhibition game. Right. You know, imagine yeah. how it would be if you have your, your cup championship defense on the line and you're, you're staring across the ice at the Boston Bruins again. I believe last year during the finals they had a billboard up in – Boston that said something like 108 days since Boston's last pro sports championship. Ew. I wonder what it says now. I wonder if the billboard is still up. Yeah, we, we should do that math. I'm sure we could figure it yeah. out. Michelle, word this morning that the Big 12 is planning on playing in the fall. So that swing state, as we called them, <laughs> is apparently going to swing towards the SEC and the ACC. There has been nothing negative about playing coming out of the ACC or SEC camps. And this morning, the board of directors of the Big 12 got together and said, yeah, we're going to go. If this was a swing state or a swing vote, do you think the SEC was whipping the votes? Do you think the SEC yes. was, was calling the Big 12 to say, hey, here's here's what we can offer you if you, if you lean our, our way? <laughs> there is no doubt. And it can help them not only from a football standpoint, but... If you're the SEC, you know, say, okay, play this year. Uh, Let's get all our money. Let's have a real championship, even though we aren't going to have the Big Ten this year and the the Pac-12. We didn't have to worry about them being in the championship this year. Right. But we can have a real championship this year. And then if you guys need some help down the road and we can help you out from a baseball standpoint or a basketball standpoint, we can work a deal. How do you think the Big Ten is feeling this morning? Because the Big Ten was the first to make their announcement, then quickly followed by the Pac-12. And then you're kind of waiting for the other mm-hmm. dominoes to potentially fall, even though the ACC and the SEC had said, hey, we're going to be steadfast in our decision to play on September 26th. You might think if you're the Big Ten that at least some of the public sentiment would have shifted against that notion that they would play. But it seems as if anything... More people are saying that they appreciate that the other conferences are going to move forward. Yeah, I do. I appreciate that 
they're going to provide us with what we want to see. But if I'm the Big Ten, if I'm Kevin Warren and those school presidents, regardless of what happens, I'm going to say at the end of the football season, if I had to do it all over again under the same circumstances, I'd do it again because I didn't know enough and I wanted to protect our athletes. And that's the truth. And that's the the strategy you take. But... If you already have people like us who are sitting here saying, rationally, we side with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but it's not going to prohibit us from watching college football in any form this fall, if nothing bad happens and they are able to execute this season in the way that they're projecting, that does not look great for the Big Ten or the Pac-12, even if they made the right decision. It still will not play favorably for them. And I wonder if TV would be upset. If ESPN, ABC loses all of that programming, that's a tremendous amount of their Saturday programming from 11 in the morning St. Louis time until late at night. The Big Ten is a huge part of it. I wonder if ESPN, ABC will be bothered that they didn't get to spend that money on the Big Ten and lose out on that content and that programming, or or if they're on board with it here. And by the way, ESPN also... uh, no, Fox owns Big Ten Network, right? Correct. So that's a huge amount of programming for the Big Ten. Well, it's a, pretty much everything the Big Ten Network has. Yeah, can you imagine if you work at the Big Ten Network and you know yeah. you're not going to have f- college football this fall? College what, sports? What you're trying to do to scramble to to fill that time. Yeah, yeah that's, that's going to be really brutal. But I do think that the Big Ten and the Pac-12, based on the experts that they have at their disposal, the committees that they have put together on infectious diseases, the scientists and the medical professionals that have told them, hey, this is not a good idea. You don't know if you're going to be able to contain this. And even though younger people are bouncing back, if they do contract this virus, there are some long-term health effects that we're seeing, especially with the heart. And I don't think it's a smart idea. We don't think it's a smart idea for you to continue forward. And even though it's devastating for us as fans, for the people who work for these schools, for, of course, the coaches and specifically the players to not play for the for one of the first times we can really say that these conferences that have opted not to play are putting the health and safety of the players first yeah they are (laughs) finally finally and randy we do have a little bit of breaking news here okay 101 espn breaking news alert This just in from John Heyman. He's tweeting, heard St. Louis Cardinals' latest rounds of testing went well. That's to say, no positives. Friday remains possible, although obviously not guaranteed. Interesting. I would be surprised by Friday, but I would be pleasantly surprised by the Cardinals playing Friday. So you'd think that they'd have to be on the field tomorrow, have at least one workout, right? You would think that that would be the next step, but... That's great news. Even even a small modicum of, of positive news, Randy, we're going to take. So no, well, I should say encouraging news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no positive tests. So that's that's great to hear coming out of the Cardinals because, you know, we're talking about the NBA being great. We're talking about the NHL playoffs. We need Cardinal baseball back. We really do. And while the Cardinals remain quarantined, the NBA remains in their bubble. And Adrian Wojnar, Wojnarski. Thank you. I got it. Uh, has it. a story about uh, who is allowed and who isn't allowed to come into the bubble as the playoffs begin. And here's what he writes. He says, here's who isn't eligible to come into the bubble as a guest per the NBA memo. Quote, any individual the player has not previously met in person or with whom the player has had limited in-person interactions. For example, known by the player only through social media or an <laughs> intermediary. So I can get you this side piece here or, oh, during this bubble, during the regular season portion of the bubble, I met this 
I Instagram model. And I'm going to have her come in. You can't do that. Can't do that. Imagine being the person in charge of that, Randy, the vetting process on who is a yes and who is a no to come into the bubble. <laughs> That'd be a tough job. But imagine the player saying, no, no I know this guy. I know yeah, her. Trust me. I, I know yeah, her. She's great. She's a sweetheart. I know her mom. <laughs> we are familiar with each other. <laughs> Here's another interesting part of this. Each player is allowed one ticket per playoff game for a guest. Plus, because they're at Disneyland or Disney World, an additional admission for a child 32 inches and below. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Didn't it used to be 48 inches? And now it's 32 inches and below. There you go. So, interesting. Uh, It says child, so I guess you just can't bring in a person 32 inches and below. No, I would imagine it's a child. You never know about these NBA guys. (laughs) You really don't. Hey, what it's their, they can use it to their discretion, Randy, whatever they want to do. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. And so uh, th- this does, bottom line here, what this tells us about the NBA, there are going to be a lot of angry side pieces that are not going to be able to make their way into the bubble. I think you're going to have more angry players than side pieces. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, they're the know. ones in the bubble hoping for the side pieces. And here's the thing, the one ticket limit, because you got to have a ticket, tickets for the normal games, tickets for the family, tickets for the side piece. Right now, you only get one ticket. Who's it go to? It has to go to the family. Come on, I know. You know, you know that there's no other option. Yeah, and you don't don't really have room in the bubble for the side piece. So the side piece is going to be angry because the side piece generally thinks that they're number one. No, mm-hmm. no. Yes, if you, by do. definition, are a side piece. Emphasis on side. I'm talking. I'm talking about what they think. But they know they're the side piece. You know you're the side piece. You, you know you're the side piece, but you also think that you take priority. No, because no, every no, no, night no. on the road is spent with you. No. And this is on the road. Every night on the road is not spent with the side piece. Yes, it is. It except is, for the others, no, the side side pieces. No, no, no. It's if Sometimes they're in your region of the back, country. Backup side piece, or oh. they're bored. So. What do you have? You have like a, a West Coast, a Midwest, an East, a Southeast? Is that the way? Is it like regions in the NCAA tournament? <laughs> this is my Midwest side piece, my yeah. East side piece. Yeah, South. Perhaps. West. You yeah. know, we did on my podcast, Randy, interview an Instagram model. Right. And she was talking about how a Lakers player slid into her DMs. And uh, she said that she lives with other females and that the same person had slid into all of the DMs. That's incredible. How does that happen? Him not knowing that they all live together and just really casting a wide net, so are I like assume. The, are, are they like the top five Instagram models or something? You know, I don't even think so, especially not in the L.A. area. I mean, while they certainly have a great following, I imagine that it's just kind of, the, you know, Instagram models' natural habitat is L.A. They're everywhere. Right. So I wonder if he slid into the DMs of hundreds if he did four that are living together or three that are living together, that is wildly against the odds, right? Well, it's just copy, paste, copy, paste. But my entire point is, if you develop a relationship with someone who has slid into your DMs in that manner, you know that he is casting a wide net. You know this person is not just shooting his shot at you. Therefore, you know you are the side piece. But you also think you're special because the attention is going to you, right? So... 
I don't know. I think it's there's a more realistic scope of this than you may imagine. It seems a little transactional in a lot of ways. Have you ever seen the movie Fatal Attraction? Uh, is that Sharon Stone? No, oh, it's no, no. This Glenn is Bunny, Bunny in the Pot. Bunny yeah, in the Pot. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it. Did she not think she was number one? She was a side piece, but clearly she thought yeah, she was yeah, number yeah. one. Yeah, but this that wasn't an Instagram DM type situation. That was a, you know, but emotional attachments are IRL. built. They, the, the, these these ties that bind Michelle, they bring an NBA player and a side piece together, and she thinks it's much more of an intense emotional relationship for him than. It really is. Okay, perhaps. But let's circle back to the beginning of this conversation. If it's you and or the family that gets to go to the bubble, there is no side piece on earth that will think that they're getting the call. It's it's like no, draft it's like draft point. day. Make that, other plans. You're not getting the no, call. That's that's my point, is I believe that there are some who are just so completely devoid of under. They don't read the room. They think that they should get the call over the, the real family. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to double down on my stance here. If this person has met you, let's just say hypothetically through Instagram, they slid into your DMs mm-hmm. and then you say, oh, interesting. X player has slid into my DMs. Let's click on their page. And on their page, it's all photos of their family. And there's none of you. It's not like, hey, check out this girl's fit tummy tee. You know, use the discount code X, support my girl. No, it's like, hey. Check out my family. I love them. Instagram <laughs> is a hundred miles in the rearview mirror at this point. What she's thinking about is those twenty-five nights that were spent in Ritz Carlton's on the road. <laughs> oh my god! I think I can help Randy's argument here. Okay. If so, if he's if if she gets the DM, sees his page with the family, right? He obviously doesn't love as much as he wants everyone else to think. He wants everyone. To, he wants her to think. Hey. I have all of this, but I want you. So you're the number one. Okay. Well, then to your point, how is that player going to react when they're in the bubble? And they say, hey, player X, wh- did your family join you in the bubble? How, who did you give your tickets to? Are you going to say the girl that you saw at the Ritz-Carlton no. on the road? No, you're going to say my loving family is here. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the player is thinking one thing. The side piece is thinking no, another altogether. if you're the side piece, you have to think about optics. You also have to think this player probably really, really does miss his family. I mean, these players have been away from their families for a longer and amount of time. Than- <laughs> 65780, if you've been a side piece, have you ever considered yourself to be priority one? Even though you are, by definition, Secondary because you are side piece, but did you ever have it in your mind? He likes me better than them. You know, thank you for calling out the siren song to all the side pieces because I know we have a side piece heavy audience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've been told that before. So thank you. <laughs> Hit us up, 65780. You know what? We do have one text right here. The first one I just looked at from the 636, and I think that this is important. Michelle is approaching this from the perspective of someone who would never be a side piece. Side pieces don't think like that. Thank and you. maybe that's true. Maybe I'm looking at this from the perspective of how I would view this, my friends would view this. I just think self-awareness is the most important quality a person can have. And you know, if you are a side piece, that you are the side piece. You know that you're the side piece. That That's our bottom line here. I don't think you do. If you know that this person has a family, by definition, you're the side no, piece. No, because you think that person's going to leave the family for you eventually. But until they do that, you're the side piece. No. There's legal documents that say you are not number one, babe. But you don't believe that. You don't believe the legal documents. You think but that it's right if, in front of your face. You, you think that 
I'm telling you, they think that his priority is the side piece. The side piece thinks so. I feel like less than half of the actual side pieces actually think they're the side piece. That cannot be true. Yeah. I just, I, I can't imagine to- that many girls are like, okay, I know he's got this other girl, but like, it's fine. It's the old, oh, <laughs> he's going to leave her for me. Right. Okay. It is. It is. We'll get some more input here. And uh, we, we've got, we'll get more information as we move along here on this historic day <laughs> at 101 ESPN. What's wrong does a hide Does a side piece really believe she's a side piece or does she think she's a priority? But next up, the Character and Smallman Book Club hashtag BBC. No, it's no, the hashtag no. KSBC. We're done with side piece talk right now. <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> As we continue to read Three Nights in August, the great 2006 book by Buzz Bissinger about Tony La Russa and the Cardinals, there is not a portion of this book, Michelle, that you say, I'll put it down for a while. Everything about this book is compelling. Tony La Russa in and of himself is compelling. The access that he gave Buzz is compelling. And the way that Buzz Bissinger tells the story is compelling. It's just a thoroughly compelling book. And I know I've overused that word. It's a page turner, as Larry King would say. It is one of the best books I've ever read. And I'm so glad that this is what the listeners implored us to read mm-hmm. for our first book in the Caragrins Woman Book Club. But it is one of those books where we're assigned a certain number of chapters to read every week. And I want to continue on every time. But I, I truly feel like this book was made for St. Louis. It was made mm-hmm. for Cardinal fans. And I didn't read it when it first came out. This is my first time through. And I almost am more happy or excited that I read it later after the immediacy of the release because it's such a cool thing to look back on that period of Cardinal baseball and reflect on everything that was happening then. And even before then, the year before Daryl Kyle had passed away and the chapter DK is just fantastic because it goes so in-depth with Tony LaRusse's relationship with him and with the trainer, Barry Weinberg, and how things kind of happened with Daryl Kyle. This was, I think perhaps the best portion of the book for so many reasons because it really does go in in depth on what happened there about conversations that he had with Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan or his teammates or even his wife leading up to those days. Just something wasn't right and he kind of felt it and how he was on the phone with his wife and didn't want to get off the phone with her and just to see, I mean, I was crying reading this. It's heartbreaking. It You ache inside when you think about that happening to any member of the Cardinals family, but especially somebody like him who they really, Buzz does an amazing job of outlining the impact that he had on this team and how he was such a clubhouse guy and how everybody connected with him and he made an effort to connect with everyone and how important he was from a game perspective mm-hmm. and how before he had passed away, Tony La Russa said, we can't do this without you. And just the ripple effect that that had even seasons later on players, just the the huge absence that, that Daryl Kyle's passing it left within this clubhouse. And if we're going to mark the time of Cardinal starting pitching leadership, it started with Pat Hentgen in 2000. And then when Daryl Kyle arrived, he accepted that mantle. Hentgen left and the next guy was Kyle. And then it went from Kyle to Matt Morris to... Uh, Chris Carpenter and Woody Williams was in there for a while, and obviously to Wayno and Jack Flaherty in the future. But Daryl Kyle was a huge part of 
what Cardinals starting pitching is today in terms of the pitchers going out and watching the other guys' bullpen sessions and the pitchers being together in the dugout during a game and watching the game and talking about the game together. He was, as, as you mentioned, a sensational leader in that clubhouse. And we talk about Tony La Russa being an incredible tactician and how he never let the game go for a second. He would be walking the streets of whatever city, of X city at 3 a.m. thinking about different matchups and how he's going to construct his lineup and things like that. But we also talk a lot about how he's an amazing leader of men. And I don't know if that's illustrated more in this book than how he was able to get this team and just the Cardinals in general to rally past the death of Daryl Kyle to have it exist within them, but get a way to turn the page while you're also grieving the loss of someone that is very close to you to be able to even temporarily compartmentalize those feelings to, to acknowledge that the players need someone to look at, to tell them what to do and how to get past that was so impressive to me. That's not an easy thing to do. Michelle, Reading the first part of the chapter about Daryl Kyle made me think about when John Mozeliak first got the call about the positive tests on that Thursday night in Milwaukee. And here's the way Buzz Bissinger wrote it. And by the way, you're going to talk about the the thing of beauty, the starting rotation that the Cardinals, Duncan and Larusa had put together. And Bissinger writes, the lowest moment of the season for Larusa came 11 days before the Cubs series started in an androgyny of a Hertz rental car heading south on Broad Street in Philadelphia. He was on his way to the closest thing in baseball to a rat-infested, sewer-spewing, urine-stinking public housing high-rise when he got a call from Barry Weinberg, the trainer. It was bad enough going to the vet where the pipes routinely leaked and the clubhouse carpet was a deep purple momentarily popular during the tie-dye heyday of the 60s when LSD was considered a dietary supplement. But a call from Weinberg at 11 in the morning? Weinberg was the ultimate grim reaper when it came to unexpected phone calls. He was the Rasputin in Red Banlin, the angel of death in a polo shirt with little red birds on the front. Nothing was worse in a rental car on the way to the ballpark than a call from Weinberg. It meant that whatever Weinberg had to tell him couldn't wait for the clubhouse, just like the time Weinberg had called to tell him in 2000 that Mike Matheny had cut his hand and wouldn't be able to catch in the playoffs. Morris turned his ankle. I'm taking him for an x-ray. How serious is it? It's got a chance to be a problem. Larusa hung up. He continued continued driving in his soundproof silence. By the time he got to the visiting clubhouse of the vet, his mood was even more foul. Disappointment mixed with disbelief because there went the thing of beauty that he and Dave Duncan had worked so hard on just the night before. Wow. What good writing. <laughs> Fantastic. But you're right. I'm sure that there is a person that when John Mozeliak looks at his phone and he knows that this is in regards to the testing that's going on, that he was bracing himself and thinking, oh, shoot, this is a, this is a call yeah. I don't want to pick up because I know what's going to be on the other end. And how, how, as a leader, you have to absorb that information and adjust accordingly. And it's not easy. No. Uh, and. Tony did a brilliant job of it, and the Cardinals have maintained doing a really good job, I think, despite any criticisms we might have now about the way they've handled this. And I don't have many, by the way, but I don't have any. How do you prepare for a pandemic? But I do think that the way the Cardinals generally handle, in baseball terms, disasters is pretty solid. I, I would tend to agree, but I also don't know, again, how else you would handle this. You, yeah. These 
these are leaders and they're people that are put in charge of a, of a crown jewel organization for a reason because they have the skill set to to deal with anything that's thrown before them. But this is outside of the range of anyone's right. skill set. No one except for Dr. Fauci, who's who's studied infectious disease his entire life. And even he's like, I'm learning something new every day about this virus. I don't know what the expectations were for an organization to handle an outbreak with, within the clubhouse, within the players and the, the people in the organization. But I have to think that the Cardinals have done a pretty good job. That is a brief look at three nights in August. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it is time for... You're killing me, Small. All right, Randy. Yes. A couple segments ago, we were talking about the NBA allowing family members or people of their choosing to come to the bubble. Right. And that there were certain rules involved, one of which being it can't just be somebody that you met online. You have to have a relationship with them IRL, right? Yes. Which I think. Which can, is an indie racy league that's in, in real life. Yeah, in real life. Um, and, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion like, hey. This is to protect guys from not having their side pieces, their Instagram side pieces, come into the bubble. And so we had kind of a, a debate, Randy, on side pieces yeah. and whether they think that they're number one. If side pieces would be surprised that the family got the call to the bubble and not them. And I am of the belief that side pieces generally are shallow enough to believe that they're the top priority and that they deserve to get priority over the family, even in a bubble situation. They're only trying to protect players against COVID-19. They are trying to protect players against STDs here in the bubble. So they can bring the side piece in, but that's at the expense of the family. And the, the, the side piece believes that she is more important to the player than the family is. And I said, even though this person is a side piece, that you would have to have the self-awareness to understand that you are not number one. The family is number one, specifically with this situation, because these players are going to be doing media about having their families come back. This would be akin, Randy, to LeBron going on TV and doing the decision and saying, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. If you came on TV in the bubble and they said, hey, Randy, is your family here? And you said, no, they did not come. You're essentially taking your talents to South Beach. You're publicly saying, I am leaving the family. I am leaving the home. I'm taking my talents to South Beach in the bubble. That player is focused on basketball. That's focused, that player is focused on winning a championship. But then they would say, hey, and we're checking the manifest here. And the tickets are used. The tickets did not go unclaimed. It's so a, who, It's a who, buddy. Who claims the tickets, Randy? It's a buddy. Come on, is what you going to find that out? You know... <laughs> If any, Woj already knows before it's even been released. Woj knows who every player has already told no to from the bubble perspective. You know he knows. And, you know, Randy, we had something very cool that we saw on social media yesterday. The Phoenix Suns were surprised when they had people near and dear to them do the player intros at the game. At the center, 6'11", in Arizona, number 22, DeAndre Aiden! Echo. Carolina, number 23, Cam Johnson. 
So, Randy, we had children, we had family members, we had wives, we had everybody that was near and dear to these players. So cute. So cute. So, so, so cute. So special. It so is. special because they miss their families, Randy. And these are the people that are going to be coming to the bubble. Are they really? Yes. The sons, I mean, can you imagine? Don't the kids have to go to school? No, Randy, not right now. They don't. Virtual learning. Oh. Well, these players are going to have to come up with something because they got to keep their side piece happy. And I don't know why the NBA, what do you, what percentage of players do you think have a side piece? Oh, I was told there'd be no math. 75, 80%. I don't know why the NBA didn't expand the bubble a little bit. Have a, have like a minor league bubble? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a side piece bubble. A side piece bubble. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine... If you get the call, hey, babe, you're coming to the bubble, and then you check your room location, and you're like, you put me in the BPs, in the B bubble? I'm in the B bubble? You really? I mean, that's, that's like a, getting a ticket in the upper deck. Yeah, that's yeah. almost more dangerous than actually yeah. saying, no, you can't come, is to know that they're in the B bubble. But we had asked our listeners, best listeners in sports, hey, 65780, if you're a side piece or you've been involved with the side piece, hit us up. Because yeah. we, we genuinely are differing in opinions here about... If the side piece thinks they're the number one. And I think this is a pretty good one, Randy, from the 314. Years ago, I had a side piece lay down the rules of having a mistress. One, the reason you have a mistress is she does things for you. Your steady does not. So in return, she deserves special things the steady does not get. Number two, be on time. We both know the deal. So don't be late. If not on time, cancel. Then this person says, this person didn't want to start feeling like a jealous girlfriend. The list went on for a second. I felt dirty and then turned on. So obviously (laughs) this side piece acknowledges you're not number one if you're laying down some rules, some some boundaries here, some parameters. The side piece was making the rules. That's all we need to know. Side piece makes the rules. Well, this one from the 314, also very important, Randy. Side pieces are not the number one priority, but they are a priority because at any time the side piece can get mad, put your business out there to your number one priority, which is your family, so you cannot make the side piece mad. I agree with that. That can cause real problems. Ask Miguel Cabrera. (laughs) Big time problems. Yeah, right. Big time problems. Yeah. And that's more than, that's a side family. More than a side piece. He's got the whole deal going. We got the whole puzzle there. Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised at how many people texted in, though, saying, I am a side piece. It's good to know. Uh, Sorry, Michelle, I agree with Randy. Of course the side piece thinks they're number one. Otherwise, we wouldn't have side pieces. I mean, who in their right mind would get involved with someone already married or in a relationship? True. Uh, And this one from the 913. If you're a side piece for multiple guys, then yes. You have self-awareness. You know what's up. But in general, once you connect with someone, no matter the circumstance, you think you're the one. Because most get defensive if you call them a side piece and can defend their actions in their head. Maybe. 
I just they rationalize. Of course, you rationalize, and of course, you defend your actions. But your your defense is coming up because you know you're not number one. You know, for instance, if somebody says something to you and you get angry about it, your defense is up because there's truth in what they're saying. You know, if somebody said, "Hey, side piece X, you're not number one," I'd be like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm not." I wouldn't get angry about it. And the anger comes from knowing that there's truth in there. I would think that in most instances that when a side piece enters into the relationship initially, the side piece knows they're a side piece. But then they start to fall in love and they don't think that they're a side piece anymore. They think that they're that this is more serious than the person that's not in love feels. You may be right because we just got a text. Side piece Nick checking in. That's his full name. Side piece Nick. Huh? He says, as a side man piece, I know my role, but I will eventually get the call up. She will eventually find a way. There you go. And this from the 314. As a former WNBA side piece, I agree with Randy because the WNBA has side pieces as of well. Of course. But we were specifically talking about the NBA's rules, right. which is why we talked about that. But I have no doubt that there's WNBA side pieces. There's side pieces in all walks of life, Yeah, Randy. there are. Yep. Uh, thanks, Michelle. This was a great, uh, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> what a weird day. <laughs> yeah, and thanks to all the side pieces who uh, opened up their hearts and minds to us today here on Carriker and Smallman. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously, because we, we we didn't know who was right here. I think there's, I think there's, Truth in both of our stances. There absolutely is. No and I think, you know, just like everything in life, Randy, it's an individual relationship. Some side pieces probably acknowledge I'm not getting the call to the bubble, and others are probably very <laughs> angry when they find out they're not going to be going to Orlando. We're going to talk to Danny Mack next on 101 ESPN. Mm. Mm. Microphones are up. Microphones are up. <laughs> Danny Mack is here joining us uh, at the end of Character and Smallman as we approach Scoops with Danny Mack. Well done, Randall. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Michelle's got a birthday tomorrow, so she's not Happy going birthday, to be here. Michelle. Thank you, Dan. 23? Dan, yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Danny will be with us tomorrow morning from 7 to 9. Yes, sir. And then you will be uh, involved wow. with the MLS <laughs> really situation. Good, right? You're trying the carrot cake, though. Yeah, Michelle's uh, birthday carrot cake. Am I allowed to eat on the air? Of course. Yes, you are. That's really good. Because once that, those are that carrot cake is like Pringles. Once you pop, you can't stop. Oh my gosh! It's it's truly the best mm. cake I've ever had. And as you can hear, Dan enjoying it. Mm. It's not hyperbole. It's that good. And I didn't <clears> know, uh, man. And we've known each other for a long time. I didn't know that the carrot cake is your favorite, favorite. as well. Wow. I never would have thought that carrot cake would, and it's pro- carrot cake's been my favorite for maybe twenty years or so. That's good stuff, man. But I do look for, like, when I go to <laughs> restaurants, good. I know. I, I try to find the the perfect carrot cake, and I, I'm really proud of the carrot cake that I make. You know, when you go to a restaurant many years ago, literally, <laughs> yeah, and they'd bring out <clears throat> the carrot cake for five, you know, whatever it is. I just pound that whole thing. <laughs> I go, what are you guys eating? You know. I'm going to have carrot cake. Yeah. I'm yeah, just, that's, that's, that's for me. That's going down. That's really good. I Happy used to birthday, do that um, back when the Rams were here and I had a Sam's membership. I have a Costco membership now. Because of the uh, affiliation to the, Wal- the Walton family. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. Sam's carrot cake, that's the one thing I miss about Sam's is that they made really good carrot cake. And I would bring it to every tailgate. So 10 times a year. 
before a Rams game, we would have this massive carrot cake, and maybe half of it would get eaten on Sunday. The other half would get eaten during the week <laughs> by me. <laughs> That's really good, man. Props to you. Thank you, my man. Thank and you he for makes bringing it on this the in. Grill. Can you believe it? How do you do it on a grill? Well, that's the key because it's smoked. I made this one with pecan uh, pellets, but the, the the Traeger grill is just like an oven. You set it at three fifty, you put it on for fifty minutes, and bing bang Voila. boom, there you have it. Mm. Wow, really good. You should Thanks. sell that. Thank you. You should make some of those every day and sell them. Yeah. You could have a great side hustle. It's that good. Side hustle. We're talking about side pieces and side hustles yeah, today here on one hundred and one ESPN. So how about those Cardinals? (laughs) John Heyman, was it Heyman that reported uh, Friday is a possibility? Yeah. No no new positive tests. Good. All right. Dan, one of the things I've been thinking (laughs) about, and as a player at the collegiate level and as an observer of the Cardinals for all these years, I'm wondering about how, after two weeks of not being on their legs— how these players, and specifically how these pitchers, can give you more than an inning or two. If if they would play on Friday, how does a pitcher go more than an inning or two? I was uh, thinking about that today. I'm going to visit with Brian Walton and really dive into that. I, I'll be fascinated how they construct their, their roster because I think they're going to have to carry more pitchers maybe than they anticipated to do that because you're going to have to, essentially, you're going to have to piggyback. To put it in perspective, as we talked about yesterday, this would be, to an extent, the equivalent of saying to a fan or to us, okay, the final three weeks of spring training, you're going to have five games, you're going to have two workouts, and now it's opening day. I mean, think about it. Yeah, that's, right. that's where you're at. Um, and the, the majority of those games that you played are going to be the the first three weeks of the time that you are getting ready and those workouts well you will have a couple of workouts they have to have a couple of workouts before they play this weekend and let's knock on wood that they are um i think you could have a scenario where a guy is warming up in our yeah literally warming up in the first inning yeah so somebody's pitching and now maybe a couple of these guys could be stretched out an inning or two but you may have a scenario in game two or even in game one uh, but certainly in these games where a pitcher goes out and has not thrown to one batter yet, and yet somebody's getting loose in the bullpen yeah. because he's got to be limited in how many uh, pitches he can he can throw. You know, part of the business side of this, too, is don't think for a second that these agents, I would have to think, mm-hmm. are on the phone with Mo and Gersh and the Cardinals front office and saying, you know, how are you approaching taking care of my guy? You know, I mean, he's... He's my client, and I, I just want to make sure that we're doing things responsibly. I, I know you guys are in the business of winning games, and I'm in the business of taking care of my guy to make sure he's healthy and getting the, the proper care, and not to say that he's not getting the proper care with all the things that are going on. Just I just want to make sure, how are you approaching innings, pitch load, that kind of thing? That's part of their job. they got to take care of him. And it might be smart for Major League Baseball to waive the three-batter minimum they, for for games that the Cardinals are involved with. I think that's in. on the table. I, I think that you maybe have to go to some type of concession on um, how many pitchers they can carry. But mm-hmm. you know how many guys are on the 40-man roster in Springfield? Four. Oh, that's it, huh? Yeah. So they'd have to start the clock in addition to having really inexperienced players. I mean, you've got your two first-round draft choices from this year right. down there. Plus, you've got Gorman, who isn't close to being at So the, those guys aren't even coming up. Right. So, and one of them is Justin Williams. Mm-hmm. So he's an outfielder. 
Um, it's just, it's going to be fascinating how they do this. Now, I, I think the other thing that you have to look at is that you can get maybe potentially, depending on, and we don't know who's been, let's say, asymptomatic or who's responded from the first round of guys that have dealt with the virus, the the Yachtys, the De Youngs, the Whitleys, the others, the, the first round of guys. Yeah, who's going to be back? Who's going to be back? Yeah. But what have they been able to do? Yeah. I know. Have they hit at all? And and that is the other part of this, too, of when these guys come back, of being able to uh, offensively have any kind of timing, mm-hmm. any kind of timing at all. I mean, you're, you're talking about other teams now that are in a flow, starters that now are being stretched out to five, six, some longer than that, and have been in a competitive situation. And the Cardinals have not. So they, they really are at a disadvantage. Any way you want to look at it, I know some people say, well, just that's it. You know, that's tough. Go for it. Well, I, I get it. It's easy to say it's tougher to do. An offense that already had a lot of questions suddenly Absolutely. has a lot more, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you looked at the Minnesota series. They were shut down the final game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They did not hit. And now you're asking these guys to all of a sudden yeah. try to have some type of rhythm to get ready to play. Um, I'm assuming they'll have a workout, if not two, before they go to Chicago. But that's that's a workout. Um, I would imagine, too, as Mo pointed out on Sunday night, the starts, the stops, the mental side of the frustration of not being on the field, there's got to be a part of that, too, with this team, that these guys are, are a little mentally worn out. Um, and then now you're trying to amp it up and play a lot of games in a short amount of time. Um just the appetite for some of these guys that do they want to play. Right. I, I'm assuming some of them really are gung-ho and want to play, and maybe some others aren't. We'll, we'll find out. I wonder if anybody is renting Albert's house with the batting cage in the basement. I have to believe he has a pretty good gym, too. I would say that to going back to the original point of the quarantine, that there are some that have made plenty of money that mm-hmm. have the ability to have home gyms or cages or places to work out. But, th- th- again, they're supposed to be in their homes. Mm-hmm. So they're not supposed to leave the homes, is my understanding, right, Randy? I right. mean, that's what right. Mo said. So, you know, like Wayno going out on his front lawn and playing long toss and throwing yeah. it into a net. Yeah. Um, but there's other guys that are probably living in renting apartments or whatever um, that haven't been able to, to leave. So who knows? I guess we'll find out uh, later today, and then you get to the workouts and see where where guys are Wednesdays with Walton coming up I think this could be really interesting because Brian does a great job on the roster stuff and that's what I want to get into is when they get these guys back how it can work with the 40 man and that's where I think the misconception is for a lot of people including myself Um, but fans who say well wait a minute you you have this 40 man you know down in Springfield you got 60 guys just just why aren't these guys here it's not that easy because when they when they first made this possibility happen of coming back to play baseball, I'm sure the idea was you're going to have one guy or two guys get sick, not mm-hmm. 10. And so when you have 10 trying to get with the business side and the complications of a 40-man roster, it's not just the now, it's about next year. You can't just take guys mm-hmm. on and off because you expose them to other teams to get picked up exactly. and you lose them and that's the problem that the cardinals are facing right now but having the second wave of guys that got um stricken with the virus is that you've had this time now to let the first wave of guys hopefully come back and potentially play it's it's just it's just crazy looking forward to the show sir thank you all right guys thanks thanks for the cake too you or got the, it yeah the cake it's really it, mm, enjoy man. i am
I'm diving in. Our producer engineer, Scott Manziar. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, have a happy birthday. We'll miss you. Thanks, Randy. And thank, you. <laughs> and thank you for the cake, and we'll see you Friday. We will see you on Friday. And Danny will be with us tomorrow from 7 to 9. And then Dan will be involved with the presentation of the new name for the new team for MLS. The name is... <laughs> <laughs> for the St. Louis Carrot Cakes. <laughs> Until uh, tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.